0: Hi, this is Steve Kozar. I recorded this very uh, long and detailed interview with these two guys, John Collins and Charles Paisley, all about their relationship to the cult of William Branham. It's a fascinating interview, but my fear was that a lot of people would not listen to the whole thing or would think it doesn't really apply. So I decided to make a 30-minute pre-interview documentary to give you a whole bunch of information to tie together this man who died back in 1965 With a whole bunch of people today who are still in ministry. William Branham is at the foundation of many people's ministries. People like this guy, Jeff Jansen, New Apostolic Reformation minister, there he is on William Branham's grave trying to suck the anointing off. This gets really dark and creepy. A few parts of this will be inappropriate for younger viewers, so please use some discretion. And uh, if you just want to skip right to the interview, that's 30 minutes in, That's fine with me, but I encourage you to listen to the whole thing starting right here. William
1: Branham. William Branham. I saw Jesus in that man.
0: He was probably the
2: greatest prophetic gift in the last few hundred years in church history.
1: As much as God put on a William Branham.
2: His ability was given to him in 1947, 48 in
1: that time period by an angel that came from from heaven. That's when he was out in the woods. Out in the woods,
3: yeah.
1: Have you ever heard of a man by the name of William
3: Branham?
0: The great man named William Branham.
3: And it's asking God if I could have the uh, mantle of William Branham.
0: Both John Collins and Charles Paisley were born and raised and lived up until recently completely immersed in the world of William Branham. They were in the cult and they got out. But even though William Branham was a really terrible cult leader, con man, false teacher, heretic. In spite of all that, the charismatic world continues to prop him up as an example of how we all could be living if we were submitted to God enough. We could have the same kinds of signs and wonders happening in our lives. It's just not true, though. That's the problem. William Branham was mentored. He was ordained into the ministry. He was supposedly saved by his mentor, Roy E. Davis. But Roy E. Davis was a con man. He was always in and out of jail, running from the law. On top of that, he was a leader in the Ku Klux Klan. Chris Vallotton here from Bethel Church in Redding, California, claims that he had a conversation with God where he asked God for the mantle of William Branham, and God said you couldn't handle it, it would kill you. And then Vallotton claims that he struck a deal with God where he said if you would place that mantle on a whole generation. We could spread it out more. And then God said, okay, Chris Valentin, I'll, I'll take the mantle of William Branham and I'll give it to an entire generation. Well, I think this actually might be true, but he wasn't talking to God. He was talking to some other spiritual being.
3: So I was in the prayer chapel, and laying on the floor, and I said, God, would you give me the mantle of William Branham? And he said, well, how could I do that? If I did that, it would, it would destroy you. And I was laying there, I was like, the Lord asked, how could I do that? So then I said, I waited about a few minutes and I was thinking about it. I said, well, you could put the same mantle on a whole generation, then we wouldn't stand out from one another. He said, all right, I'll do that. Not awesome. That's what the Lord wants to do.
0: So guys like Benny Hinn and Todd White and Bill Johnson and Chris Valentin, they hear from the Holy Spirit all the time. They're prophets. They got a special, really tight relationship with Jesus. And yet, the Holy Spirit never tells them, hey, uh, William Branham was a fraud. He was a con man. He was a very crooked and depraved man. Let's take a look at a newspaper article from 1966. I want you to see something. After he died in December, they didn't bury him until April. A whole bunch of his followers thought he was going to be raised from the dead. Or that he would raise himself from the dead. It says here, Reverend Willard Collins, associate pastor of Branham's Tabernacle in Jeffersonville, said he believed in Branham's resurrection because Branham had a halo over his head when he was born in a log cabin in Burksville, Kentucky. Of course, that's just a story. His entire life is just full of stories, many of which contradict each other. Here's the really interesting part. Reverend Willard Collins went on to become the head pastor of the Branham Tabernacle for decades. And his grandson is John Collins, the guy I'm about to interview, who has turned into one of the leading researchers, proving what an absolute con man, fraud, cult leader that William Branham actually was, based on the evidence, the things he said that are recorded. I'm going to give you some background on this man by just reading the first page from John Collins' website. William Branham was a Pentecostal minister from Jeffersonville, Indiana, credited by some as initiating the post-World War II healing revival. The first of ten children of Charles and Ella Branham, Branham claimed to have been born in Cumberland County, Kentucky, and reared in the booming southern Indiana casino town directly across the river from Louisville, Kentucky. He was also a doomsday prophet, predicting several years that he claimed to be the end of days. His destructive, extremist, religious cult following is collectively called The Message, and is a splinter group of the Pentecostal Baptist Church of God sect founded by Roy E. Davis, while Davis was recruiting for the Ku Klux Klan and the Knights of the Flaming Sword. The sect was connected to Dr. Caleb A. Ridley, Imperial Clud, the highest-ranking religious chaplain of the Ku Klux Klan. Branham popularized the Christian identity doctrines of Wesley A. Swift, rebranding it as the Serpent's Seed Doctrine.
4: shorts just the same as spitting in your face. Right. They don't smoke a cigarette and blow it at you and say, to your own business. Why? Because that's the tribe they come out of. Right. I'm going to get to you that directly the seat of the serpent. We find out where she moves in. See why they act like that. They're the devil's children since the foundation of the world. It's right. And we're nothing in left for it to just judgment. The only thing is left. <laughs> can't have nothing else but judgment. God will just whack the whole thing out, and man has done it themselves. God didn't intend it to be that way, but he knew it would be that way. That's the reason he said he would deceive all that lived upon the face of the earth, except those whose names were put in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world.
0: Are you familiar with this Bible verse? where God said that he would deceive all that lived upon the face of the earth except those whose names were put in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. The closest thing I could find was this verse from Revelation, and he's doing a weird upside-down paraphrase of verse 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. There are just over 1,100 tapes that are kept and organized and numbered and dated that are part of the Branham organization to this day, and you can find hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these on YouTube. That's where I'm getting all of this material. This creepy, weird, confusing teaching is still being shared by people, by the millions around the world.
4: But the spiritual revelation of God proves by the Bible that it was sexual intercourse between man and woman, illegally.
0: This is a really common thing that I've heard in the teachings of William Branham, and it's very common amongst other people like Kenneth Copeland and Bill Johnson and Todd White and Benny Hinn, et cetera, et cetera. It's this idea that spiritual revelation is where you actually learn what the Bible says. So you can claim that God told you something and you can change the meaning of sentences or words or the clear teaching of the text can be flipped on its head because you got a revelation. And William Branham did this all the time, as you're about to see.
4: That's where your giants come from. That's where your sin come from. That's where your uh, corruption come from. That's where it's come down. Now, notice, and all this, this look, the, the serpent was twice as smart. His seat has always been twice as smart. And I'd like to climb up on this pulpit and grab this microphone in my hand and stick my feet over the pulpit and say this. And today, where is your great intellectuals? You're a pastor that's gone down and got a lot of intellectual knowledge, and he stands up, he's a pastor of the biggest churches there is in the country, and so forth like that. Where does the seat of the serpent stand in, in the smart, intelligent places like that, smart, shrewd scholars? There's where he's at. That's where he lays.
0: It's this extreme anti-intellectualism of William Branham that I see reflected in many of the comments on my YouTube videos, especially the ones that really pertain to Kenneth Copeland or Andrew Womack, or people from the Word of Faith, New Apostolic Reformation crowd, they're told that smart people are bad, arguments don't matter, somebody who can explain what the Bible teaches in an intellectual sort of a way, even just a normal kind of common sense sort of a way, that's not really important. The only thing that matters is this revelation knowledge. And revelation knowledge is whatever the, uh, the leader tells you it's supposed to mean. And of course, you can branch off if you want to and make up your own things as well. That's why there's a million different splinter groups within the Pentecostal charismatic crowd.
4: The Bible said that he would put in Genesis 3.8, the, when the question was asked, when Eve had been uh, something had happened to her, she met the serpent. Now the serpent was not a snake. He was a beast, the most subtle of everything in the field. There was nothing. Today, science is looking for a bone of some animal that connects man and monkey together. The closest they got is a chimpanzee. They can't find the bone, they'll never, because it's a serpent. It's a revelation of God. It's a revelation of God. Watch. The serpent was like a prehistoric man, something next to God, or next to man. And that's the only thing. If any other animal would have happened to Satan, would have got on him, the seed would not have mixed with the woman. You can't mix a human seed with any kind of an animal seed. It won't work. But this animal that will mix the seed is complete. It's extinct. God turned into a snake. And the woman said, The serpent beguile me. Now what does beguile mean? She be, he beguiled me. And God said, I'll put enmity between your seed and the serpent's seed. The serpent was a man. The blood of an animal won't mix with the blood of a human. No, sir. But this species was so close between there, till he did mix and Satan knew that. Great giant of a fellow. Isn't it strange that they found great giants in the land after this? I wish Josephus the writer would have thought of that. Where would those giants come from? The seed of the serpent. Eve started this evil thing when well, she interbred there with this other thing that was near a man that would mix the seed. Because the serpent had a seed that was continually to bruise. I'm taking it on the faith side for the weak Christians that don't understand. Let's take the faith there. Say, then by faith, by the breeding then, of faith as you say, Brother Branham. Then Eve brought in her theology her and Adam and tried to plead one to the other and throw it back past in the buck as they call it in the army. The woman now gives me, the serpent beguile me. The serpent beguile me. Never give her an apple to beguile. Anyone would have common reasonings to know that. But the serpent beguile me. Done something dishonorable.
0: This teaching from William Branham is incredibly confusing. It's obviously not biblical. It's really creepy. It leads to a very anti-woman attitude and teaching style that he became famous for. And I had to listen to this a few times before I really understood what he's saying here. Basically, he changes the meaning of beguiled to something dishonorable. And then that leads to the idea that this is actually telling us that this serpent had sex with Eve. And that led to a whole race of people under Cain. And those people are all evil.
4: As soon as, as this one defiled her, which he did, the serpent, she said, the serpent beguile me, right? Not a snake. He is the most subtle of all the beasts between a Japans and a man.
0: Imagine if you've been told over and over and over again your entire life that this man was a great prophet and that he was a man of God. And everybody around you said the same things over and over again. Well, that's what a closed group of ideas does. It forms a cult. A cult usually surrounds a person. And, of course, William Branham is the leader of this cult in this case. Even though he's been dead for all these years, his teachings still continue and you can then understand why something as bizarre and really kind of idiotic as the things that he's saying is accepted because it's divine. It's revelation knowledge directly from God. And of course, he's been teaching all along that smart people are bad. Now let's listen to William Branham share some of his insights into women.
4: Go down the street, back out like that, of riding the highway, we counted on, I'll tell you something, and you women drivers, listen, Billy Paul and I on this last campaign around the nation, six months, I kept a count of how many scruples on the road. And out of 300 mishaps on the road, guess how many of them was women drivers? There was only like a 19 of them were men and 280, or at least 281 of them would be women drivers. Women drivers. Now, I'm not saying they ain't good women drivers. but. She'll turn anyway, and you just try to get back at her. Let her be kind of nice-looking, stand there push out a hair up when a cop comes up. Why do you say, sure, you're in the wrong? <laughs> See how the woman's seat carried over there? Look at today in America. America is the seat of the devil. Why is it? She's a woman's nation. You've heard this is a woman's world. That's right. It's a woman's nation. They set the pattern. It used to be it was wrong for Christian women in the holiness groups to wear short hair. What happened? I can remember when you couldn't be taken into the church with short hair. It was wrong in the first place. It's wrong yet. The Bible says that if a woman cuts her hair, her husband has a right to divorce her and get away from her. It's exactly right. What do you do it for? The fall of fashions. Now, you're not going to like me after this, but at the judgment bar, you're going to find out something. The Bible said if a woman cuts her hair, she dishonors her head, which is her husband. If she's a dishonorable person, she should be put away. It used to be wrong, but something happened. Holiness women wearing these little bitty old clothes and getting out here in the yard mowing their yards, walking up and down the streets with shorts on, letting your children do it. Then you say, God sent us a revival. How would God ever put a revival on a bunch of filth? Can't do it. Say, Brother Branham, I don't wear shorts. I wear slacks. That's worse. I can prove this without a shadow of doubt that women wearing paint, come from a heathen trait. The heathens do it. Let me tell you something before I leave this. You know what's going to happen at the Day of Judgment? You're going to be guilty for committing adultery. You say, well, I'm just as pure as a lily to my husband. Mr. Branham, I never was defiled. Let's find out. Jesus said, Whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her in his heart already. Is that what he said? All right, if you walk down the street dressed in little old dirty-looking clothes on and some man looks at you and lusts after you, that sinner will answer for committing adultery. Who did he do it with? Who presented himself to him? Who's guilty? You're guilty! You stuck yourself out there before him like that, and you're guilty of committing adultery at that sinner and will answer for it at the day of judgment.
0: Okay, so that was a little snippet. Of some of the things that William Branham said in his own words. If you want to have a really bad day, go ahead and listen to a bunch more of those. Just type in William Branham into YouTube. There are a number of splinter groups from the Branham organization all over the world. I found this guy's video from uh, almost 10 years ago. It has 90,000 views and I want you to hear a little bit of what this guy says about the so-called prophet William Branham. I believe this is from the Pakistan branch of the Branham cult. This is really bad, so Hang in there with me, but you gotta hear what he says.
5: Do you know that since the time of the Apostles has never been a ministry so powerful and so vindicated by God as that of William Branham? Do you know this? In his ministry, if he, if one has a sound spiritual mind, can be seen very clear that he was the prophet that God would send to restore All things that had to be restored before the coming of the Lord that's right through the prophetic ministry of William Branham God has restored all the things that had been lost Branham has in fact restored by his preaching the faith in the one and true God the God of the Bible he restored the deity one person not three persons, as it was uh, established at the Council of Nicaea in the year 325 A.D. He restored the water baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, as it was believed and administrated in the early church for the first 300 years, but which was later changed to the Trinitarian baptism at the Council of Constantinople in the year 381 AD he restored the right position and rules of the five ministerial gifts in the church he restored the right position of husband and wife within the marriage etc etc in addition to this restoration of the sound doctrine taught by the Apostles of the Lord through this prophet God has revealed what Daniel did not understood and that was sealed God has revealed the seven seals of the book of Revelation that John was not allowed to write. Revelation 10, verse 4. In the ministry of William Branham, there have been a multitude of prophecies that came to pass, a multitude of visions that came to pass. In the ministry of Branham, the church of the Lord has heard once again that thus says the lord as it was in the biblical times when john saw this mighty angel messenger he fell at his feet to worship him thinking he was the lord jesus christ so great was his ministry this angel messenger prophet has a ministry so powerful so divine so scriptural and so vindicated by the supernatural that even the Apostle John, who lived with Jesus for three and a half years, mistook him for Jesus himself. Even the Apostle John, who lived with Jesus for three and a half years, mistook him for Jesus himself. This is because his ministry was very much similar To that of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about this, my dear listener, think. How could it be that the Apostle John mistook Branham for Jesus Christ so much to throw himself at his feet to worship him? And now many Christians exchange Branham for a medium? For an antichrist? For a false prophet? For a deceiver? How can it be what a mental perversion. What a spiritual madness. What a religious foolishness. Branham, who discerned the thoughts of man's heart in all details. Branham, who commanded the demon to leave the sick and the disease disappear. Branham, who called the dead to life and during his ministry, seven dead people resurrected. Branham, who received the visions that came to pass to the letter. Branham, whom the angel of the Lord spoke face to face. Branham, whom the Lamb of God opened the seven seals and revealed to him the contents. Branham, through which ministry God did many others wonderful things. Is, therefore, Branham more than a prophet? Yes. He is more than a prophet. I firmly believe that anyone who says a single word against this prophet or against the message that he preached, it will never be forgiven. Never forgiven. Why not be forgiven? Because he who speaks against this work of the Holy Ghost in this man does not speak against the man, but against God, against the Holy Spirit, and this this is a blasphemy. Yes, if you reject the ministry of William Branham, you have rejected Jesus Christ himself.
0: Much of William Branham's credibility comes from the charismatic world. It comes from people like T.L. Osborne, it comes from Benny Hinn, it comes from people like Chris Valentin, and Bill Johnson and Todd White. They say the same things that this cult leader says, and they don't have a problem with it. William Branham made up stories about himself, kind of like he was a Greek god or a Roman god. He was a legend in his own mind. And as time has gone by, nobody really seems to care if those stories were true or not. They just like telling the stories. Because they can get on stage and tell these stories about the amazing things that he supposedly did. Because they're not doing the same things. None of these people are miracle workers. It's all a charade. Now I want to just play a few clips from some charismatics going into a little bit more detail about how great William Branham was supposed to be. And I want you to understand that these people are to blame for hurting people's faith. To such an extent that they have given great credibility to an actual series of cults around the world that have done unbelievable harm to people's lives, including rape, incest, and murder. I'll tell you what God's going to do. He's going to restore back past mantles. I'm talking about the mantles of
4: uh, A. A. Allen, uh, Smith Wigglesworth, uh, guys like uh, uh, William
1: Branham. The
3: great man named William Branham. And it's asking God if I could have the uh mantle of William Branham.
1: Uh, Brother Branham preached his message and he said
0: miracles happen on a scale you can't imagine.
5: William Branham was preaching my dear when a halo appeared over his head.
0: I don't know why you would trust Benny Hinn to say anything but yeah this is just a black and white photograph taken of him speaking in the auditorium with a light behind his head in the background back in
1: 1950. He had without a doubt since the days that Jesus walked in the flesh, the greatest miracle ministry I ever read about.
0: And we all know how carefully Sid Roth checks all of his sources and does the research to make sure he's giving people accurate information
4: and these guys and gals like that, that was mightily used to God. The Lord said, I'm going to restore those mantles back to the church.
1: All this week, I believe William Branham's mantle has been manifesting with Todd. My dad told me that he was in a meeting with William Branham and actually was used to usher Branham out to the parking lot where there was a man who had died in the, the, a station wagon. And that William Branham ministered over him and he was raised from the dead, right in front of my dad's eyes.
5: He would say, you are so-and-so, your name is this, your name is that, first, last name.
0: Details about their life.
4: But he, he said, I'm not going to restore them back to where they were when they left. I'm going to restore them back to where they should have been had there been no delay.
1: And so I've been watching you operate in that mantle. And I when I first saw it, I said, that's like William Browning. My name is Robert Pears, and in this episode, I'm going to look
4: at the ministry of William Browning. He was a man that saw incredible miracles in his ministry. People like Gordon Lindsay, who was, of course, the founder of Christ for the Nations. Gordon Lindsay brought Brother Branham to Portland, Oregon. Spoke of this man and and of the miracles that you would not have ever believed. This gentle little man came out on the platform. He truly walked with incredible power and he was considered one of the two great um, leaders of that revival, the healing revival him and Orr Roberts.
1: When he was born, a light came out of the sky through the window and came over the crib where Branham had been laid after he was born. And that was the way God communicated to his family that this was a special child and that God had something great for him to do. He was like Christ to me. I saw Jesus in that man. This seer's realm of the word of knowledge and angelic activity is on the increase. William Brown and waiting upon the angel of the Lord to direct the ministry and great uh, revelatory miracles. And I've been watching that with you. I know it's never happened. But I know that it must before the end. There must be, not just individuals, I'm thankful. We have individuals that are rising up with such anointing, such strength. We have people scattered all over the planet right now that are just making a mess of things in all the right ways. We're so encouraged. But what I'm believing for is a generation. A generation will rise up with a corporate faith, a corporate anointing to press into realms because it's my conviction that as much as God put on a William Brannan
6: William Brown.
1: or a Catherine Kuhlman or a Wigglesworth, He'll put far greater anointing on a company of people than He ever would on an individual. And to do that, there must be that corporate sense of we have to deal with the issue of obeying the rules of this kingdom to tap into the resources of this kingdom. He would know exactly who the person was in the back of the crowd, what city they came from, what car they drove, what their neighbor's house looked like. This is crazy, and people were like, and it gripped men's hearts. It gripped women's hearts with such a ferociousness that there was no way to escape the love of God.
0: So I want you to understand that the false narrative of William Branham which is literally a whole bunch of stories that he told, has become the foundation for men like Todd White, Chris Valentin, Bill Johnson, Benny Hinn, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They're telling you that this great thing happened, you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago, and it has to happen again, but it never really happened. Here's a really important Bible verse that I hope will give you some clarity on this issue. This is from 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 9-12. through 12. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every kind of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refused to love the truth, and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion, so that they all will be condemned who did not believe the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. Okay, thanks for watching my very long introduction. Now here's the interview. Hope you enjoy, take your time. So welcome to today's program, everybody. I'm Steve Kozar. I do not claim to be a professional broadcaster. (laughs) We're just having a conversation. I've got Charles Paisley and I've got John Collins. And Charles, we just met this morning for the first time, but John, we've been talking for a while now and we're gonna be talking about William Branham. We're gonna be talking about the splinter groups that he started. We're gonna talk about the influence that he has in the modern charismatic movement and the evangelical church in general. And we're gonna talk about some frankly, creepy stuff. Disturbing, creepy, uh, almost hard to believe. Uh, I wanna preface everything by saying, if you go to a church and you're listening to pastors who recommend this book and think this is an actual history book, I'm gonna be really frank with you, you need to stop listening to that person right now because they're completely clueless about the actual history. Of William Branham and many of the leaders in this book and unfortunately this is considered a textbook in fact John you're the guy sorry I'm talking already and not giving you a chance but um, I have a, a whole shelf full of history books about the modern Pentecostal movement and a lot of historians still use the same generic uh, ideas about who William Branham was He was a humble man who originally had a Baptist upbringing, but then had a Pentecostal experience. They just keep repeating these same phrases, and you're the guy who actually lived it and did the research for yourself and found out that everything they're saying is false. Everything. He's a complete uh, make-believe character with various personas who was conning people for his entire life. Now, that sounds totally shocking, and nobody wants to be told you're in a cult, and we don't even know exactly how you tell people that without them just shutting you off. Right. Yeah. And Charles, you're the guy that came out of this most recently. I'm, I'm going to let you talk a little bit about what I've already said.
2: Yeah, uh, I, I was uh, assistant pastor of uh, a message church in Jeffersonville, which is, uh, to the best of my knowledge, the second oldest message church in the world. William Branham frequented it quite a bit during his life. Um, the pastor of our church preached William Branham's funeral. Uh, we we're we we're that close to everything. So, uh, yeah, there's lots we could share about the message. Uh, John shared with me that you had some different uh, things you're interested in, topics, questions you might like to ask. And uh, you don't get too much more a message expert than a uh, couple people you have on this call with you here. I know. Uh, your this is really –
0: so. my frustration has been both uh, Daniel Long and I have done videos where we talk about, you know, the, the, the basically the people in this book being not – who they claim to be. And everybody hmm. who writes about them in this book and other books like it, uh, they're just repeating what they said about themselves. So if I'm a con man from a hundred years ago and I write my own biography about myself, I can say whatever I want because I'm a con man.
6: Yeah. <laughs> so can you hold that so, Can you hold that book up again? So I've got a couple books I was going to hold up, but I'm going to hold up in a, a book that you just need to picture that's in my hand. Uh, hold up the gods generals, anybody who reads this book and believes that this is an actual history book of men in, in these religious circles, I usually want to point them instead to my children's fables books that they read when they were (laughs) kids. So picture I'm holding up the book of fables because it literally, there is no difference between that book and a book of fables. Absolutely no difference.
0: And uh, the, the thing I starting, was starting to say is that I, I get frustrated not because people are, um, you know, they're reading these books and obviously Christians don't like it when lies are being told in the name of God. That's a horrible, terrible thing. What really frustrates me is that when I could put a video up about a current big time leader and it would be controversial and have a title that grabs people's attention and it would get 40,000 views. I could do the same sort of video about John Alexander uh, John Dowie yeah. from 100 year, 120 years ago, and it would have maybe 5,000 views because people right. think that something that happened 50 years ago or 100 years ago just doesn't have any relationship to today. But what, what I really want to make clear is that there's a foundation that was built and it's a terrible, faulty foundation. And you can't just pretend that it doesn't matter because it does matter. It's affecting people today. And, and you two gentlemen are, uh, examples of there, there aren't, you know, like all these millions of offshoots that have some effect. You were there in the heart of it. In fact, I didn't even, John, tell me your background, how you were connected to William Branham.
6: So my grandfather was the pastor of William Branham's Branham Tabernacle for approximately 50 years. Uh, basically, until I started publishing all of the, um, the critical information regarding the tax and financials of the church. Whenever I published that, he was ousted by the Branham family, but until that point, he was he was basically the leader of the church. And um, I I discovered a few things that just really didn't add up. So I went to grandpa and I asked him about them and I watched my loving, gentle, humble grandfather turn into this. I don't even know how to explain it. He was just it it was like looking at pure evil in the face. And he's my own (laughs) grandfather. Wow. And he said, John, people have known these things for years. What does it hurt for you to believe it anyway? I'm going to come down very hard against you and your family. And all I did was simply ask a question. Hmm. And so I knew at that point, something here is not quite right. I still believe William Branham to be a prophet. I did my whole life, you know, for 30, probably 37 years. And the so moment I asked mean, me- a question, everything just unraveled.
0: So you were trying to take what you thought was a middle ground. He's not that bad. I, I, I think there are some things that are questionable, but he's not that bad. I just want to get more information. But because it, they it, were so harsh to you, that made you think maybe things are actually worse than I think they are. Is that it correct? It wasn't
6: even really that. I was going through <laughs> some severely traumatic life experiences. Um I, I don't want to go into too many details on this call, but things like I had a nephew who was dying of cancer, a two years old mm. nephew, and I mean, just horrific life experiences. And it really shook me. And while I was shaken, you know, people go through self-examination during these times. I was. And there were a couple questions that I've always just had in the back of my mind about William Branham. It, it wasn't that I did not believe him or anything like this. but. I also was suffering PTSD severely and my memory, especially when confronted with conflict, my memory just stopped. So I run an IT shop. I had access to several different, you know, servers, IT things that I could use. And one of my tools is this was before you have office 365 and all of this, I had web servers and websites, and I could throw notes up onto a web page and pull it up on my phone really quickly. And, um, so I did this, there, there were just probably 10 questions and they were simple questions really, I thought at the time. And before I could go to my grandfather with those questions, the cult around the world somehow found this. Mm. I'm an IT guy. I know analytics, I know Google, I know the bots, how it all works. They literally found my website before Google had scraped my website. How they did, I'll never know, but they did. And it went around the world within 24 hours. John Collins is going rogue. (laughs) And I literally... You've been to my website. There's a lot of stuff on there, right? The whole thing, every single thing that I do, I never intended to do. This is all pure accident. Hmm. But when this happened... He, my grandfather cut my wife and children off at the same time for all he knew my, my wife could be like fully devout believer and not have a single question about this. But because I had a question that he apparently couldn't answer. My family was doomed and, and not just cut off from the church, but when you're severed from this church, they quote these passages largely out of context. That they are turning you over to Satan for the destruction of your flesh. So I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" I asked a question, and so I'm going—I'm doomed to hell because I asked a question. And that led me to more questions and more, and finally, I thought, "Okay, well, if these questions are this bad. I'm going to throw them up on a blog and ask them to the world." Huh. So my my little handy note taker turned into. I actually still have the first blog post on my website is ridiculous, but it's like, here's a list of notes or questions. And I just, to this, to this day, I leave all of the old stuff as I, as I'm unraveling what's in my head and the thought process that I have, people can watch my thought process on my blog hmm. and it turned, it turned into what it is today. And I never intended for any of this to be, it's all pure purely accident.
0: But you are a, Detail guy. You're a researcher by
6: nature. I didn't know that I was, Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm an IT guy and I'm a musician by nature. I'm an Mm -hmm. artist by nature. We, you, you and I talked a little bit, but I'm actually an artist also. I just don't have time for it. But I had no idea that I was detail oriented until I started researching. And Mm. after a while I'm like, this is kind of fun. And because I'm an IT guy, I actually don't do a lot of the work, the manual labor that a lot of people researchers have to do. I can write little software tools that go through and scrape, and AI that merges it all together, so I can put it hmm. together very quickly. While other people have to manually do this.
0: Now I'm jealous because I uh, <laughs> I don't know how to do any of those things. I still use books. I don't even like using. Uh, electronic books because I forget yeah. that they're they're in my phone or they're in my computer. I like to have. It, it, unfortunately, it's filling up my house. But uh... <laughs> so, so I'll I'll let you in on a secret that um I told Charles this.
6: Charles is the only person I think I've told besides my wife. This book that um this this is the go to book if you want to learn about William Branham. This is the book for it. Mm-hmm. There there was a. There was a series of videos and blog posts that were on my website that the cult attacked and brought down. I think you and Dan have talked about this. Right. That, I was, actually, that was actually my walk-away strategy. I was going to publish that. I was going to walk away and never do anything more random, believe it or not. Hmm. They brought it all down, and my wife's going to kill me for telling this, but on, on our wedding anniversary, I'm in a hotel, and at 3 a.m., the thought hit me. Well, they brought this down. Now I can't walk away. What do I do? So at 3 a.m. on our wedding anniversary in a hotel, I wrote a, I wrote a software program that opened up all the video files, took the X and Y coordinates of the transcript that goes across the bottom, lined that up chronologically and spit it out into a word file. This book is a computer generated book, man. <laughs> really? No joke. The entire book is computer generated. It put all the text in. Now, the editing process was heavy because it was computer generated. But I went through, cleaned up all the text. And then for about probably eight months, I had to go through and add all the footnotes manually. So that part, there's over a 1000, probably 1500 footnotes. So this book is written by one of
0: my softwares. (laughs) Initially, it was, yeah. Initially, right. Yeah. That's that's how I first became aware of you was because of the YouTube videos that you made. and I was yeah, I was on YouTube, Dan and I both were the day that they were taken down, and I contacted you and I had just made a video that same, either that day or the day before, I made a video called Cult Leaders Love Cult Leaders. Yeah it's where I have Chris Valentin, Bill Johnson, and Todd White all t- claiming to uh, you know have this great admiration for William Branham and it's a very short little video, but for some reason I wondered if, because I put that video up, it somehow brought attention because in my video I recommended your link and I told everybody go to this YouTube channel so that you can get more information. It wasn't a video full of information, it was basically trying to get their attention to lead them to your site and then your site Mm. was taken down within about, I think it was one day, maybe two days at the most. Yeah. And to hear the story later, how they literally got inside your computer and took stuff from you.
6: Yeah, they um, were on my network, not just my computer. I, I don't want to give too many details because I don't want people to know the plug, the holes that I have plugged and how I plugged them. But they were in my network. I, was, I have a client that is a very secure facility, so I have to wear badges, and the FBI has a presence on, on the site. I had to make my sites more secure than the, than my client who has the FBI, because they're, they're attacking me in ways that this client does not even get attacked from Russia. And, um, I was, my wife called me while I was working and she says, our internet's down. Well, I have pretty sophisticated setup for my business. So from there I can dial into my phone. I can get in my house on my network and I'm looking around and well, if I can get in, she surely should be able to get out. It's connected, right? Nobody in the house can connect. And I get into the router, which was a very, very expensive router. And I'm still angry about this while I'm in the logs. Somebody else is in the router with me and they have, they have manually went through and disabled all eight antennas. So all the Wi-Fi was down. That's why she couldn't connect and I'm watching this. And then I literally don't know what they did at this point because they, they bricked my router. They completely killed the router. And the moment it went down, within 10 seconds, I got a notification from Gmail. Somebody's in my Gmail. YouTube, I've got copyright strike one. Uh, Outlook got attacked. Dropbox got hit. Then another Dropbox. Then a third. Then a fourth Dropbox account got hit. Then copyright strike two, copyright strike three. And then, boom, my YouTube site's gone. And literally what they were doing at least what it looked like they're doing, for my opinion, whoever was doing this, they had got in to shut it off so I couldn't connect out and then attacked all of my stuff. And it was a... I mean, I'm working with some very secure facilities, and it's more sophisticated of an attack than they have dealt with. It is hmm. unbelievable. And that's just one of many, many attacks. Um, I had... I had most of it backed up, but there was one folder on Joseph Branham, William Branham's son, that out of every Dropbox account I had, that folder disappeared. And whoever did it was specifically targeting that folder.
0: Interesting. This is stunning. I, here's a lesson, boys and girls. If you're dealing with a pastor of any sort who doesn't want you to think about certain things, that gives you the idea that questioning really anything is off limits this is a person who has something to hide that's why they don't want you to question anything it's not because they want to protect truth it's because they want to protect lies that's what a cult does that's what an organization does that is it at best very insecure about their beliefs if you are going to a true Christian church, there should be openness to discussion <laughs> and there should not be hacking into another person's computer <laughs> to remove information <laughs> that makes them look bad. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah,
6: that's that's done. To put it to put it into perspective, there was a point in time in 2015 when I was paying over fifteen hundred dollars a month on the security of my website. Once the clan stuff
2: Oops, started hitting my website, be you'll come back in a second there. I see you I was you still guys. on the inside of the, I was still inside the cult, John, when all that happened. And uh, I remember when all your stuff disappeared and, and kind of our messaging was, well, John's come to his senses and took everything <laughs> down. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. That's kind of how we, uh, I certainly looked at it and kind of messaged it from the inside. But John finally realized he was mistaken, and decided yeah. to, to to go away.
0: So, so what happened when he put stuff back up again? What was the way to... You know, kind of market that. What was the cover story? He, he the, well, devil, the uh, devil got a hold of him, probably. Right?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it's pretty. well. You'll go to hell if you go to John's website. Uh, <laughs> every, you know, John's name is infamous in the message. Don't go to that website. If you go to that website, if you talk about that website, if you know anything about that, you'll be thrown out, and everybody you talk to will be thrown out, persecuted. Yeah, that, that's I, the attack that's taken with anybody who finds these w- things.
6: <clears throat> when you tried to contact me last night, Steve. I was I had taken to dinner two children of the message who have mentally escaped. The cult leaders in this area have actually told the parents that if the children look at my website, they're to kick them out on the street and the girl is the girl is uh, 18. She's living in a shed or a barn or something. She's not allowed in the house. Fortunately she has a roof over her head the boy is under 18 and he was kicked on the street and they did not have a barn so he was literally kicked on the street and left to die and got hungry and apparently the police got involved and forced the parents to take him back so now he it's this weird scenario he's living under their roof and it's against the pastor's will the the assistant pastor literally called the mother and said he is not to he's not to live here because he's Um, been looking at John's website, according to the kid, you know, I wasn't there when the conversation happened, but I've been trying to, you know, step in and help out, give them food and try to encourage them because mentally the, I mean, this is a horrific thing. Your parents no longer love you because you met this, (sighs) you found this website, you know, and that's the level of suppression that this, this cult has.
2: Yeah, it's really tremendous what what they do to people when they find this out. That's honestly what happened to me. Uh, at a certain point, I, I started to ask the questions and do the interviews. Uh, and I, I think at a certain point they realized I was uh, leaning towards believing some of the stuff that uh, had been put out by John and some others. Um, yeah, and they bring the hammer down on you. They bring the hammer down on you and uh, I, I end up having to leave as well. I wasn't even convinced the message was wrong or William Branham was wrong at the time. Uh, but I, I knew something was wrong and I knew the way they weren't acting was wrong. And so you exit, you lose everything. You lose your friends, you lose your family. And on the inside, you're not really permitted to have any connections outside. We have no friends outside. We have no Mm -hmm. relationships outside. Most of us were completely insular homeschooled. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We have nothing on the outside of the group and it's really painful process to exit.
0: I I think of, um, the, the illustration of, uh, there's this big door that there's a, a million pieces of information to make the point that, yeah, this is a type of cult. William Brandon was a false teacher. What you've been taught for your entire life is wrong, but that door with all that information, it's gotta get, someone's gotta just pry it open just a little bit. And mm-hmm. there's like a few ideas that seem to open the door so that you're mm-hmm. able to think, about all of the information because most people, you know, it's that idea of confirmation bias. It's too uncomfortable to think that there's a ton of things in your life that you believe that are wrong. And it seems to me like asking questions is a good way to get people to pry open the first little crack of light through that door. It's like saying, why would somebody lie? For instance, why would William Branham say, my father died when I was a child? And then in other tapes, he said, my father died when I was an adult. That's enough yeah. for a normal person in a normal situation, whether they're Christian or not, to say, "Oh, I can, I can no longer trust this man. He just said two conflicting things, and there's no explanation for it from a reasonable standpoint. That's a liar. That's a, that's a, yeah. a, a deliberate liar. Yeah. You don't accidentally. Oh, that's right. My dad didn't die when I was a child. He died when I was an adult. I forgot. It's a, it's a, oopsie. Yeah. That, that doesn't make yeah. any sense." <laughs>
2: With, with William Branham, some it goes really deep. Some of it is, you know, we, of course, believe he's a prophet and he's received all these divine revelations from God. And for me, what really started to move the needle uh, is when we start realizing. Where some of this stuff actually came from, right, like we're, yeah. realizing as you go along, hardly anything he preached was original. Almost everything was copied from other places, and some of it came from some really, really awful awful places Um, and that's when you get into serpent seed and things of that nature yeah i have a few thoughts you talked about the father
6: and uh, i mentioned some of it in this book some of it i didn't fully grasp at the time i wrote this book Mm -hmm. but he you know you're going to remember when your father died you're going to remember was i in school was i in grade school or did i preach the man's funeral you're not going to forget something like that right so I um as I was piecing this together, there's a big white supremacy background to what's happening in Branham's ministry. It's huge. I can't say that William Branham was in the Klan, but I can say he was working with the Imperial Wizard of the Klan. I mean that's right. how deep this was, right? Well, the Imperial the Imperial Wizard of the Original Knights of the Ku Klux Klan is the one who started his church. And Charles and I will go deeper into that history because it's fascinating in, in just a bit. But there was another man working with him who was Congressman William D. Upshaw, and he was the one he was the man who single handedly saved the Klan in the 1920s from a congressional inquiry. He was also a very popular right wing Christian evangelist. He was a very popular um, anti alcohol. He had these anti alcohol campaigns all over the United States. If you're in the United States in the 20s, you know the name William D. Upshaw. There's no way you don't know his name. Okay. He especially – in so in Jeffersonville, we're right across the river from Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville is where all the distilleries are. You know, Louisville and the surrounding area, that's where the bourbon comes from. Right. It is Louisville's public enemy number. He is Louisville's public enemy number one, and he came to Kentucky, sweeping through Kentucky like a tidal wave, converting Kentucky to the prohibition platform. There's no way William Brown doesn't know his name, but the imperial wizard William D. Upshaw, as he is building his, um, his part in the third wave of the Ku Klux Klan. He partners up with William, William D Upshaw and Roy Davis partner together and Davis tells Upshaw to go sit in William Branham's meeting, posing as a wheelchair invalid. The mm-hmm. man has been very mobile. They even caught running on the house floor. I mean, he was very, very mobile, but he sits in a wheelchair. William Branham rises up him up out of the wheelchair and says, I never heard of this guy. And the average listener is going to think, well, how did you not hear of this guy? And his explanation was, well, my father died when I was in grade school. And so took me out of school. I couldn't read or write. Um, he alleges, you know, he doesn't come out and say that, but he's insinuating he couldn't read. And so he never read the newspapers and never heard of this guy well, the whole thing is a lie. He, you know, his father died in 1936. So we know the age of his, I've got his death certificate on the website, but the whole thing is it was just a ploy so that he could create the stage persona, the stage act of healing this guy. Hmm. Now you, you said, how do you raise these questions with the members and get them understand? It's actually much, much deeper than this. There's a deep level of manipulation, mind control, brainwashing, if you call it. Mm-hmm. And what I have learned in working with cult counselors is that you don't win a person out of a cult by giving them the answer. I can't tell them that, look, William Branham, um, preached the guy's funeral and he died when he was 18. These are, you know, what was it? Seventh grade. You can't have both of these cohesively fit together. In the first time I encountered this, I was talking to a cult member and I said, William Branham said that he was born in 1909 and his Moses stage persona is deeply tied to that 1909 date. He also claimed he was born in 1907, the day after John Alexander Dowie died. And that was deeply tied to his Elijah ministry. So he's got these two different stage personas. One's Elijah, one's Moses ministries. They can't both be. He can't be born in both years. And the brainwashed cult follower literally said, I don't understand it, brother, but I believe every word. Mm -hmm. So you can't give them the answer. You have to lead them to the question and then let their mind explore the question. It breaks out of the mind control and then they can escape.
0: That's a good way to put it. A little background myself and my wife were involved in amway which was a mind control organization not not the corporation Absolutely. itself but the it was the, a cult uh, networking yeah it's a it's a mind control cult and we were mm-hmm. for 4 years in the late nine, 1990s and uh, the idea that the people who are saying anything bad about amway are your enemies don't you dare listen to them Mm -hmm. They didn't have physical control over us like you do in a church environment because we were, you know, spread out in various states. But when we went to these large meetings, they really got angry, super angry about those people on the Internet. We're talking about 1999, Mm -hmm. the year 2000, 2001. uh, They started a new online version of Amway called Quickstar. And uh, it was supposed to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. It was supposed to, you know, it was going to be bigger than Amazon and all this stuff. And at the same time, they were promoting how Amway was going to use the Internet. They were telling us, be careful about what you read on the Internet, because there's a bunch of liars and losers out there who hate Amway. And they're just lying about us because they're losers, not because they have Mm -hmm. anything truthful to say. And And what we were we were psychologically conditioned to not even want to look at that information. It wasn't like we looked at the information and considered whether the claims were true or false. We never even wanted to look at the information because we were told those are bad people giving you any negative, uh, any negative information about Amway comes from bad people who are losers who tried it themselves and they failed because they're weak. Because they didn't, yeah. they didn't try hard enough. And instead of admitting their own failure, they're now blaming this great company, which is changing the world. Very much mm-hmm. like a, a, we've been watching the whole series about Scientology. And yeah. the, the ability to control people through these psychological I- ideas, they keep implanting the same ideas over and over again. And it really does... Control you to the extent that the information is actually right there. You just open up the internet, you just go, just go to to John's website, and you'll see an unbelievable amount of information. But the protection is not in stopping your website; it's stopping the people from even wanting to go to the website.
6: Yeah, yeah, they do multiple strategies to stop it, though. Suppression of information is a big thing. There, Stephen Hassan, Doctor Stephen Hassan, his website. In his book, which if you haven't read it, it's Combating Cult Mind Control. I've got it right but, here somewhere. <clears throat> yeah, he calls it the bite model. Behavior control, um, information control, thought control and manipulation, and emotional control and manipulation. And that's how that's how a cult exists. Um, the, the suppression of information is incredible, but one of the ways in which they suppress it is they will attack the character try to do character assassination against anybody who raises a question. And I'll, I'll let Charles go deeply into that, but and Charles is, has experienced the same kind of thing. And he was a leader in this thing.
2: Yeah. I mean, definitely, you know, whenever, uh, people start asking questions, so I, I was the second highest ranking member, you might say of our sect of the message. Uh, hmm. I mean, uh, a globally known group, and, you know, when I started digging into this stuff, when I, I started to find the stuff from John, um, I went into it, you know, in an apologetic sense. I'm going to find the answers to all these questions John's raising, going to refute it, no problem, right? Uh, that's how I how I approached it, and, you know, I, I start going, and I have access to, we've had access to people who knew William Branham all the way back to the 1930s in our church. Um, we, you know, we probably have one of the greatest depths of witness of his ministry um, in the world, really, in our group. Uh, and so as I, I started going through, just, and I would I would kind of debrief people, interview every single person I knew that had known William Branham or been close to him. And I, I'd ask questions. Um, Tell me about this. Tell me about that. What do you remember about this? Um, and, you know, and I, as what I, instead of exonerating William Branham, I actually, sadly, I mean, to my absolute horror, confirmed and discovered, you know, even more than John, uh, you know, has been able to publish, um, the truth, the truth of a lot of these things. A lot of the old timers were definitely clan members. Um, I had multiple of them confess it to me. Try to convince me it really wasn't even that big of a deal. They said they were all Klan members. Charles, it's not that big of a deal, um, and I know some of them were definitely in the Klan all the way up into at least the eighties. Wow! So the, the white supremacist connections uh, go deep uh, in, in the message, in the hierarchy of the message, and yeah, just uncovering all this stuff. It was just uh, it, it blows your mind, and, and then you're left trying to figure out how to put your your life and the pieces of all this stuff back together. Um, How long have you been you know, out? So i i have I have been out of my position uh, for approximately a year and a half wow. as the assistant pastor. But I'd say it's a, it's closer to a year that I have decided that something was that you know that we had been in a very bad group. That's when I really made the decisions about William Branham. Uh, you know that's kind of led me to where I am today. I, I think the the clan stuff was was just one of many streams of things that I had looked at um, in there. You know, I had, uh, I actually stumbled onto Christian identity theology by accident uh, quite a few years ago. There was a documentary on uh, PBS, a Ruby Ridge documentary, and, and the documentary uh, opens up with a man uh, who was going to the, Aryan Nations Church in Idaho, which was the successor of a man named Wesley Swift's Mm -hmm. church, Christian Identity Church, and they're interviewing him and he's explaining Christian identity theology with a man named Wesley Swift, his successor. And as I'm listening to that man explain Christian identity theology on this documentary, I'm, oh my goodness. (sighs) The Klan has stolen Serpent Seed from William Branham (laughs) and turned it into racism. Right. That's my reaction. And, you know, you're you're just shocked. You know, you can't even I can't believe the Klan would have the audacity to steal this from us. Right. That was my reaction. And so I like, okay, I'll just kind of put this over here on a shelf. You know, in the message, we put things on the shelf when we don't understand it. That's what we're told to do. And so then a, a few it's not very long after that, that our pastor, in the Jeffersonville Church, these people knew William Branham, this stuff was passed to them directly from William Branham. He pulls me aside and it's time for me to learn the secret uh, racial understanding of the serpent seed. And so I get my private instruction uh, in the racial nature of, of some of our teachings, you know, you know, directly from these successors to William Branham. And that's where... Um, I already had watched that documentary before they told me these things. And as, and as, as a pastor sharing all this with me, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to keep my jaw off the floor. I don't, you know, like, oh my goodness. Um, and then it's only a short space of time after that, maybe another year or so, John. And that's when I come across your connections where <laughs> William Branham was working with the Imperial Wizard of the Clan. I'm like, oh my goodness. It's true. It all fits. And then, then I knew the right questions to ask and I start asking people. And that's when I, you know, really just start on that particular topic. There's so many different topics, you know, that, that I dug into, but that one in particular, yeah, it's true. It's sadly true and kind of uncovered the history of how William Branham was connected into these groups and where, where some of this ideology found its way into Branham's teachings.
6: So I'm going to let your listeners in on another secret that I've not made public yet. We're very soon to, to make it public. <clears throat> so I did all of this research before I met Charles and as Charles said, you know, he stumbled across it. Well, it's like a big puzzle. I had a large number of puzzle pieces and I can kind of see the picture that's being made, but I can't see the full picture charles because his his splinter group held the information that my group was suppressing even my grandfather never told me some of the things that charles had access to knowledge of and charles has the other puzzle pieces so Mm -hmm. when you put the two together it is it will shake the cult at its roots at its very foundation the whole thing completely unravels so Charles and I have secretly been working together for, what's it been now, Charles, almost a year, I guess. It's been a long time. And he has information on William Branham's connections to Jim Jones, on how deeply Jones was integrated into the cult theology, on all of this clan information, not just the clan information, but what the doctrines mean that we did not even know were associated with white supremacy. He has that knowledge and he's got documents to, to back all of this up. Hmm. So he started collaborating with me and we've put our heads together and not to make his head swell too much, but Charles is by far a much greater researcher than myself. Hmm. He is the stuff that's in his head will just blow people's minds. Wow. And his memory is phenomenal. I told him this at lunch the other day. His memory is just, if I had his memory, I could be as powerful as Charles, but I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) So we've been working together. And now when you put his puzzle pieces together with my puzzle pieces, even this book is now outdated. Even though this book I still recommend people get, but this is outdated because of Charles' knowledge. Hmm. So very soon... Um, probably shortly after you publish this uh, podcast, I am completely resetting my podcast on William Branham historical research. I'm taking all of the podcasts. There's hundreds of them in there now I'm archiving them and we're starting over and Charles and I are going to put all of these puzzle pieces together okay. and do a completely re- complete reset with his information and my information. and. It is groundbreaking information that the world does not know. They've never
0: heard this. That's that's incredible. Uh, we talked about this just before we pressed the record button, how the historians, notable, real historians, not 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 this circus clown, Roberts Liarden, he's not a real historian, but they're um, here. Hang on a second. Here's an example. Oh yes,
6: I, yeah. I've read that propaganda too.
2: <laughs> I've, I've got that one right here too. Yeah,
0: <laughs> let me turn my phone off here. Um, the the generic, I would say, uh, if you if you go to any of the academic sources that are. More reputable than not. In other words, they're they're from this is this is published by Indiana University Press. This wasn't published by the mm. crazy charismatic you, you know press. This was, but still, yeah. they only have so much information, and yeah. and when they're talking about a whole movement, they have to give you. Sorry, my wife's texting me. Sorry, Uh-oh, real professional okay. podcast. She's here, more right? important than us by far, and you can yes, tell her. I said you're that. You're absolutely right. Yes. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to turn the dinger off. My phone and my computer are connected.
6: Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I use the word propaganda and I don't want to qualify that because I don't want to offend any Indiana University. The history has been written by the cult. The history that Charles and I right. are, are uncovering is the actual history and it has been suppressed. So when you read non-cult, quote unquote, unbiased histories of William Branham or any of the men that's built on top of his ministry. It is still propaganda, because you're reading the history that has been written by the cult and completely Mm -hmm. erased. For example, William Branham is known for his quote-unquote seven prophecies of quote-unquote 1933. He allegedly, according to cult propaganda, had a series of seven prophecies in 1933 that he wrote down on a piece of paper and buried in the cornerstone of his church, the Branham Tabernacle. 1933. This is a piece of paper that the cult would die to get their hands on. Whenever he died, they dug up this thing and it was empty. I've got on my website a video of a man who says, I was there when they dug it up and the angels came down and stole the paper because they did not want anybody to know. (laughs) I also have on my website the deed to the church, which is 1936, not 33, I've got all the documents that show that he was in a different church, different building, different street from 1932 to 1934. And then after 1934, they went into a Masonic home. I've got some Freemasonry research which will blow mm-hmm. your mind. The original Branham Tabernacle had the pentagram on the front of it. Wow. And it it was on a Uh, There were actually two at the same time. There's one church a street over that he called his tabernacle that was an arbor by Roy Davis's brother while the church was being built. When the church was built, they had the pentagram tilted slightly to the right because that's the order of the Eastern star of which William Branham's um, sister Dolores was a member of the order of the Eastern star. Apparently William Branham was too. But can you imagine people today who give reverence, th- these new apostolic reformation leaders that give reverence to William Branham, they're not going to tell you he had a pentagram on the front of his church. And I, I I think you've probably seen the guys who go to the grave and they're, ooh, the power, you know, Todd Bentleys and whatnot at that pyramid tomb. Charles, you've got to tell them about the telephone. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, there's so many unusual stories from the message, and especially this Jeffersonville area around William Branham. But uh, sh- shortly after William Branham died, uh, there there was a man who uh, who was in the message in this area. He was a World War II veteran, and he uh, he actually had an injury in the war that had left him with with some uh, mental, some mental issues. Uh, anyway, shortly after Brother Branham died, he felt the need to install a telephone into Brother Brownham's casket uh, so that he could let people know when he had been resurrected so he could be removed from <laughs> the grave. And this happened in 66, you know, uh, just shortly after he died. And John, this same man who did this, he jackhammered up uh, one of the foundation stones in the tabernacle the day of Brother Brownham's funeral, too. Oh, really? What this is for that. Like, yeah, so he's he yeah, the one who same man. Yeah, same man who did that. Yeah.
6: yeah. Uh, John, so, you yeah, told me... So, about so the, one one more point the okay. 1932 1933 prophecies so they i, I missed the main point <laughs> okay so th- this paper that nobody's seen that they dug up and they tried to find cult members are so brainwashed that they don't even care that he said this but later in his ministry william branham holds up this piece of paper that he claims is the paper that he also claimed was buried in the cornerstone and he says now i want to read you a set of prophecies and he reads the the year 1932 not 1933. 1932 they were he was deeply involved in roy davis's church the you know the guy who had become the imperial wizard so it's it doesn't even fit with the timeline and he reads the prophecies well the, the version of quote-unquote seven changed significantly. And when he reads, at this point in his life, William Branham is losing his mental faculties. And he says, now, I want to tell you that my my two campaign managers, they're going to revise these prophecies and bring them a little bit more up to date. And then they change after this. So he's literally <laughs> he's changing them. Well, apparently... I just published this, uh, I guess it was Friday. Apparently one of the, two of the prophecies that were removed at some point in time was, one of them was, God spoke through me to tell you don't eat eggs in the last days. And the second one, God spoke through me to tell you don't live in valleys in the last days. William Branham never stopped eating eggs. So if God really spoke through him, he, he said, I'm not gonna listen to you, God. I wanna eat my eggs. All of his cult yeah. member. I mean, in in general, I would say a vast majority of cult members eat eggs. But not only that, we live in the Ohio River Valley. Right the, right, the whole cult is in the Ohio River Valley. Right. And when his son took over the church, his son is now the central figure of the cult. As soon as his son took over my grandfather's church, this mass migration from all parts of the world, came into mm-hmm. the Ohio River Valley. So they're all literally disobeying these 1933 prophecies.
0: That's <laughs> so ridiculous. It's just silly. It is
3: ridiculous.
0: <laughs> you know, um, one of the things that I do on my YouTube channel that really offends some people, not everybody, a lot of people actually like it, is I, I laugh at stuff because some people are so heretical and so fraudulent that to treat them with respect as if they have a viewpoint that's worth considering is giving too much space is giving them too much validity it's basically allowing the the person who's already in a cult-like environment to say well as as long as i have uh, this person is being shown some respect and maybe i've got a lot of information that shows they're wrong but still they're they're within the camp they're generally you know, it's, it's okay to consider them as still genuine Christians. We just have a differing of opinions. I think it's actually healthy to say, "No, this is clownish behavior. This is ridiculous. <laughs> this is this is silly. We should be yeah. laughing at it, not because we're." uh making fun of god it's actually because we're 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 laughing at the ridiculousness of a false teacher who is actually blaspheming god by what he says and does and the whole system he's created is actually very anti-god and very anti-christ
6: yeah yeah Yeah, that's definitely that's one thing that shocked me so i was in a cult my whole life i had never actually heard the gospel of jesus christ ever in the cult i didn't know what it was we were told that we heard the gospel, but it was completely, completely different. And when I first heard it, my first thought was that's it's that simple. Really? Mm-hmm. Believe Jesus? <laughs> yeah. Jesus but died we for my sins, yeah. so I could have eternal. Yeah, not we a had 27. All
2: these. Yeah. It's not a 27 <laughs> had, step plan or right?
6: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's how it was, we had, right? <laughs> we had all of this stuff, man. And when I first heard it, well, my first thought was, well, I was told wrong what the Bible is. And I started reading, like I was reading passage, and suddenly the words were different because I'm no longer reading it through what I heard this man say about the Bible. I'm reading yeah. what it actually says, and it's polar opposite. It's not even close to what he was teaching. So my first thought was, I need to wash this out of my head. I, I can't even tell you the number of times. It's probably 10 or 15 that I read the Bible cover to cover after leaving the wow cult. Really, and after you read it, that that many times you start to read personalities. I can tell you this person is writing and it's, this person is was had a very, very deep Jewish background. He's, he's very much into the, um, into the circumcision. And then you read this other book and this guy is saying, hey, you guys who believe in the circumcision, you're my brothers, but you're wrong. This is no long. You know, you start to, you start to read the personalities. You can, you can see that this was a, This was a church emerging, growing, learning, establishing itself. You get all of this. Well, the version of gospel that not just the message cult, but every single sect, splinter group, ministry, stage persona that's built on top of that foundation. They're teaching you different. What is a prophet? Like we were told that a prophet is vindicated because he can heal the sick. A prophet is vindicated because he can speak the word of faith or, you know, all this ridiculous stuff. Well, no, the Bible says a prophet is vindicated. Did his prophecy come to pass or not? Or did he change it? I mean, it's literally that simple. If I'm a financial advisor and I tell you that this stock's going to go up, invest your money, but instead I can make a great barbecue meal for you. Are you going to say, well, he's, he's a financial advisor because his barbecue meal is really good. Yeah.
3: (laughs) You're not going to do it
6: right. Well, they're, they've taught this version of Gnosticism. I read an Irenaeus against heresies many, many times. And the, there was a specific sect of Gnosticism that thought it was okay to tell lies for the sake of a holy end. Hmm. And that is actually a theme in this ministry. It's okay that William Branham lied, because in the end, all of these lies make me a Christian. I've actually wow. heard cult members say this.
0: Charles, does that ring yeah. true to you from your experience?
2: Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. So we, in our sect of the message, we we compared... Uh, William Branham to Elijah, to Elisha, to John the Baptist. And we, we'd pull out instances where, well, Elijah said things that was a lie. Elisha said things that's a lie. John the Baptist said things that's a lie. Therefore, it's only natural that William Branham would have told us something with a lie because he wow. had the same spirit of Elijah, right? And um, we would use the scripture in James, Elijah was a man of like passion, right? Uh, and yeah. we'd use that as a, yeah, as part of our key defense, uh, uh it's only natural. Like we, we literally believe that William Branham purposefully told things untrue and wrong in order to delude and deceive the uh, the non-elect. Hmm. right? But then those of us who were the elect, we will naturally be able by the Holy Spirit to discern which parts of what he said is accurate, which parts is not, uh, and we'll be the saved, chosen few. That's a um,
0: thought-stopping thought device. That's all that is. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, any, yeah. any normal and, and, and a person to, would say... That's crazy. Yeah. This is so common yeah, exactly. sense, this, but you have to have a thought stopping device implanted over and over again for you to hear something that any normal person would go, oh, that makes sense and say, no, that doesn't mm-hmm. make sense. Actually, it's the opposite of what everyone else thinks. And I'm, spart- I'm part of the special group that knows that. That's, yeah, that's exactly. the Gnostic appeal.
6: It's, yeah. it's a real problem because people have been manipulated to believe that they're in Christianity but they're being taught something that's incompatible with Christianity. Mm-hmm. It, the two literally cannot fit together. I'll let Charles go deeper with this, but there, there is a situation that exists that when a person leaves a cult like this, it's very difficult for them to just simply go into a church mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they've been told, taught polar opposite. And when, when members of the sect go into actual Christian teaching, they're actually offended by it. I remember I was greatly offended. I'm hearing these things that they're saying that now I know is in the Bible. And I thought, these guys are off in left field. And Charles and I have been talking over several weeks. He, he's got a plan and a strategy for, that I hope spreads throughout the globe, at, not just for the Branham cult, but for many. Charles, I'll let you talk about the church that you're oh. establishing.
2: Yeah, you know, come, come in the message. And this is directly from William Branham's teachings. Um, If you go to any other church, you've taken, you know, you're on the path to the mark of the beast, world council of churches, ecumenicism is the image of the beast. And so when you leave the message, uh, even if you leave, you have nowhere to go, right? Like, you're you're just completely on your own. And, you know, at this point, um, there are... There's dozens, actually, of preachers that have left the message over the past two and three years as a lot of these things are coming to light. And hmm. there's a, a wonderful brother, um, I won't say his name on the podcast here, but who's who's been helping to coordinate uh, uh, just an effort to kind of put together a, a global fellowship of former message believers and um, just to give people some kind of a, a halfway to come out of and to get healthy in Christianity. And certainly here in Jeffersonville area, I actually have, uh, we, we've uh, we've got a building. We've been having services for quite a while, but we finally have a building now. Uh, and we're going to be going uh, public and inviting former message believers to come to worship with us, to try and get healthy with Christ, and kind of run it like a, a little bit of a halfway house church for, for people that are in need of help. There are, there are thousands of actually Branhamite message believers right here in the immediate area where we live, many that have left, and, and, and around the world as well. Um, you know, the message claims, I think, two plus million uh, members, uh, and certainly at this point there are several thousand that have exited. Uh, that are looking for something healthy, so. uh, We've got a a website, uh, christiangospelchurch.org, and some of the tracks, I know some of the stuff we're talking on here, we're just scratching the surface, and I I have some tracks up there with some deeper things on there, and John as well, his website is just a a well of uh, information.
0: Yeah, people who are uh, familiar with my channel know that there's always a lot of information in the description right below the video, so there's uh, tons of links with more information. the idea that people have access to more information is is great, but if they don't access that information, it doesn't make any difference. And one of the difficulties, and I want to I want to get you 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 both uh, to think about how this relates to your background in the cult. When I, uh, my 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 wife and I, but I, I did most of the videos, and now my wife does them with me. We we test a pastor's sermon. We compare it to scripture, and we explain. Well, here's what the scripture actually says. It it doesn't say what he just said it means. It's he's wrong, and and uh, mm-hmm. we kind of make that our our thing. And people like us, and they trust us, and then they start typing in questions. Well, what about this? 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 And I and I, I keep saying, I'm not the answer man to all of your questions. No person. Outside of your own pastor at your own church, and obviously you don't have that right now, so that's why you keep typing in all these questions on a YouTube <laughs> video. But I think there's a tendency for a, a, a vast number of Christians to trust too much in one person or one little group, and then when they find out that one little group is wrong, instead of saying I got to think for myself, I got to read the Bible for myself, they say.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, I found the guy who's explained to me how my other group was wrong. Now I want to just trust him to give me all the answers. Which, yeah. Uh, so your idea of a halfway house, uh, a church that says... Let's talk a little bit more back and forth. Let's consider what you... Let's kind of peel back the layers one at a time of all the false things that you've been taught. And let's let's take our time and see what the Bible actually says. But you, you have to get people wanting to do that for themselves. and And then they can find a church that maybe is... Uh, you know, it's it's got everything that they're looking for, but they don't know what they're looking for yet. And I think there's a tendency to just jump into another cult-like environment. Is does that ring true? There is.
2: Yes. Yeah. re is a huge problem uh, from, you know, everything I've read and understand. And definitely it's so important to help people coming out to awaken to the reality that they're empowered to look into these things for themselves, to make decisions for themselves, uh, the preacher is not the Holy Spirit, right? You have your own hmm. relationship with God. Uh, and, and that really is one of the great uh, tragedies of the message. They they hid an obscure Jesus and they replaced the Holy Spirit with the preacher hmm. in people's lives. That's really at root. A lot of the problems.
6: Yeah, and I'll say that even even the churches themselves, in my opinion, there exists a problem many pastors who receive a cult, mem- a former cult member into their church are either unwilling or incapable of taking on the task of learning how to work with a former cult member. I've experienced this in a few churches myself, but their tendency is, okay, I know the truth. I'll just tell them the truth, and then they'll know the truth. But it's not that simple. Mm-hmm. the The best analogy I can think of is if I go outside on a nice sunny day in July <clears throat> and you're come, you come up to talk to me and you say, it's a beautiful sunny day and I say, well, what are you talking about? It's night outside. And you look around, you see the sun, it's noon and the sun's up in the sky. And you say, no, it's daytime. Well, if I've been programmed to believe that it's night, it's not simply that they program me to believe that the night is day, the day is night. I've also been programmed to believe that the government has this conspiracy to trick the people that it's actually daytime when it's nighttime. And so they've got some light thingy installed and I've got something in my eyes that works with the government system and that thing's installed and everybody's talking about it. And there are social networks that exist that are trying to convince the people that it's actually day when it's night. You telling me this means nothing until you... Until you can prove to me no, there is no government thing up there making this making this look like a sun. There are stages of deprogramming that you have to go through. Right, stages. Yeah, yeah, it's it's but very it's a long process. It really yeah, is. It,
2: it's so true, you know. Because John, like the stuff that you put out, most people just believe inside. Well, you've, you if they look at it, you just made all this stuff up. Like all this stuff is completely mm-hmm. made up. There's not a shred of evidence, a shred of proof. But but really, when you start digging into it, that's when you start to, I find for myself, I started to awaken, you know, and start to realize, you know, there actually is a, a lot of truth behind this. And I, I got one book here, I, I, if I can just point you to it. This is called uh, Religion and the Racist Right it's hmm. by Michael Barcoon. And a lot of the same people that you're it's in that God General book and that are we've talked about, they're also in this book. Hmm. And what this book does is it gives a history of Christian identity theology and shows how it was inter- intermingled with Pentecostalism, wow. uh, really, at the in the early days of its mm-hmm. history. And this book's from the 90s. And, and the man, when he wrote it, William Branham's in this book, for example, and they're 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 probing. Uh, they they uh, they see the similarities and they assume there has to be some kind of a connection here because all these things are happening at the same time. and. When you start to look at this, you realize, hey, we're not the first person to ask these questions and wonder about these things. But we were on the inside and we actually knew the people here and we can we can put together some of the pieces they are missing and actually confirm and validate things that they have suspected for quite some time existed. The connections and Michael Barcoons, not the only one. There's another professor, John Chambers, who has a book. Uh, There's several others I have here in my library of, of people who have probed at these connections. Uh. Between the message and white supremacy, and William Brown, for quite some time, but yeah, w- once you start to see it, it just uh, it takes on a life of its own in your mind and, and starts to uh, to lead you into uh, a better way of thinking about all these things. It's uh, tell a big me deal. I'm
6: working. <clears throat> I'm working with a Pentecostal historian, and I really, really like the guy. He's. We disagree on theology obviously but he is very open to actual history and I've learned so many things from him. He's got a book that's coming out later this year talking about it's very pro Charles Fox Parham which I I was just going to
0: say I I know the book you're talking about. I'm waiting for that He's book to here. come out.
6: Yeah, okay. it is I've read it. I actually have a pre-copy of this book. It yeah. is amazing the book is. But he goes deeply into the um, white supremacy history and how it influenced and, in his opinion, skewed Pentecostalism. And one of the things he mentions, which I did not know, I actually had this incorrect on my website, but he actually is correct. Parham was accused of sodomy. He was accused of sodomy because of a rift between his sect and Dowie's sect. Mm -hmm. Parham... There was a period in time in which Parham wanted to take over Dowie's sect, and Voliva started fighting him, and Voliva spread the rumors that there was sodomy that existed. I did not know this until I met this historian, and after I read it, it's true, Parham was painted as a KKK member. He He was not affiliated with the Klan. There was a poster that went up in Texas, I think it was, where they used... The words, it was an acronym for something not even white supremacy related, but the acronym was KKK and it was different words. Wasn't even from his own. I don't even believe he published the, you know, the posters, but because it had those three letters in it, he was affiliated with the Klan. His crime, quote unquote crime, was that he and a black man bunked together in a hotel and. He had an, I think the word they used was unnatural or un, I think it was unnatural. His his crime was he did something unnatural with another man. Well, in Texas at that time, if you bunk with a black man, it is a, it's not a crime on the books, but you might get strung up for it during that time so that was his crime there is actually no rever- reference anywhere at all to sodomy it's that he did something that's unnatural and that's that was considered unnatural at the time to be with a black man anyway he led me on to this history of Pentecostal that i did not know in the cult of william branham and everybody who is influenced by the cult of william branham who even if they're not members but are unaware of the history. So we're talking 2 million people approximately in the cult of William Branham, plus their influenced people believe that William Branham is the one single person who brought the truth of oneness Pentecostalism, which isn't true at all. There was a man by the name of Garfield Thomas Haywood, who is a black minister from Indianapolis, who was extremely popular in the twenties. And he wrote this tract called victim of the flaming sword. The tract was ex- incredibly popular. And it's because of this man that one, one Pentecostalism spread around the globe. When he published his tract and this black man started getting all of this attention, Roy Davis, who is William Branham's mentor, William Simmons, who was the originator of the 1915 Ku Klux Klan partnered together in opposition and created a white supremacy group called the Knights of the Flaming Sword. So it was literally in opposition to this one Pentecostalism. Then it, it was short lived. It dissolved, but Davis moves into Jeffersonville, Indiana, starts a new Pentecostal cult called the Pentecostal Baptist Church of God sect. William Branham gets ordained as a an minister and evangelist in the sect takes over the church, and they start planting multiple churches. Charles has the history of some churches they planted that I did not have. Hmm. And Branham is sent. There's a time in Pentecostalism when all of these desperate Pentecostal groups were merging together. The Pentecostal assemblies of the world, the Pentecostal of Jesus Christ, all of these assemblies were merging together. William Branham lied and said that He stumbled onto Pentecostalism accidentally and he avoided the Pentecostal call, um, until 1937 or 38. Well, this Pentecostal historian has informed me that William Branham was touring as a Pentecostal healing evangelist with advertisements on his truck. And he was at that meeting where they were doing the merger. And I, I fit all the pieces together. William Branham goes as a representative of this sect that is literally in opposition to the sect created by Haywood. And they're wanting to merge into this thing and spread white supremacy all throughout the Pentecostal movement. It's a huge, huge deal. Wow. And then Charles, you um, you informed me of the connections with the Milltown Baptist Church that I, I wasn't aware.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and that that we know was planted uh, certainly by the Pentecostal Baptist Church Church of God people. Um, right. It seemed like Roy Davis had been there. We had testimony of of, of brother Roy being there at that church, um, and brother Branham ended up taking over pastorship of that uh, after Roy Davis ended up, you know, extradited to jail as well. So Roy Brother Davis, Branham was actually.
0: Let's stop yeah. for a second because Roy Davis is a absolute criminal. He's a dirt bag. He's a yeah. creep. He's the kind of guy that is uh, as far from Christianity as you can possibly imagine, which again Mm. to me says, hey, if you're an actual Christian and you think that William Branham was a godly man, how is that possible if he was mentored and ordained by a criminal? A, a, a really slimy, greasy sort of a human <laughs> the being. The snidely whiplash of yes. all the ministers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <So laughs> picture this scenario. Whole show. We could do a whole show on oh, Roy Davis alone. A series.
6: Yeah. We could do. So Charles and I are going to do this. We're going to go through and do a series on all of this. But picture this one, just this one point in time. Okay. You've got William Branham, who's not just defending, he's a partner with Roy Davis. Charles gave me this history. They're also advertising the KKK Clud. The Clud is the Imperial Supreme Chaplain, the religious leader of the Ku Klux Klan. So you got William Branham, Roy Davis, and the Clud, who are all together holding revivals. Before even coming to Jeffersonville, before this was 1928 that they were all together. And Then they move into Jeffersonville and picture this one snapshot in time. You've got William Branham, who's defending Roy Davis. You've got Roy Davis, whose entire laundry list of crime, sexual misconduct, theft, bribery. I mean, it's too long for me to list right now. This stuff is being aired by the newspapers. He has half of the town is suing him because he stole the inheritance from a rich lady. He's sleeping with an underage girl who later becomes his wife who he brought across the state lines for sex, which is a violation of the man act. He's wanted for grand theft. He's wanted for stealing a piano from another church. He's wanted for, um, there, there was a, um, there was an organization that One of the local Baptist church had, I'm going to forget the name right now because I'm bad with names, but Bethel. There was a a Bethel Baptist church that had a donation fund, and Roy Davis started promoting what he called the, the Bethel Fund. And so he would go collect money. People were thinking that they were donating to this Baptist church, and they're giving it to Davis. So he was involved in fraud. You had all of this stuff. And here's this man who's defending him in front of a town that hates him. The town hated him so bad they finally burned down his church and ran him out of town. Wow. Uh, and when they burned down his church, that's when William Branham took over. the. Davis is gone. He's He can't return or they'll kill him. Branham takes over the sect and Branham grows the sect. And that became the Pentecost- Billy Branham Pentecostal Tabernacle and eventually the Branham Tabernacle. So there's one snapshot in time. You got this guy who's not just bad theology, he's defending Snidely Whiplash, man. Right, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> right. I, I think one of the, the great things, too, William Branham absolutely knew what he was involved with. I mean, we have the, even the newspaper articles, John, where Roy Davis the police ar- arrive in the middle of one of his revival services yep. when William Branham's you know in, in his group with him and arrest mm-hmm. him off the platform in the middle of the yep. service to take him back for violating the you know the underage trafficking of women act there that they had back then. So and William Branham was prison, witness to these things. Yeah.
6: When he goes to prison underneath Roy Roy Davis's name in the prison log
0: it's written sex pervert. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so that brings up a delicate issue that I think we could maybe just hint at that you gentlemen are going to be going into more detail in the months ahead, but sexual perversion.
6: Oh, uh, that's a big deal.
0: Yeah. Which of you would maybe want to say something I'm gonna about let- that?
6: I'm going to let Charles take lead on this, and I'll, I've got a few points I'll bring up. But I don't want to go too yeah. far on this conversation because right. to fully understand it, this is going to take not even one podcast. But Charles and I are probably going to have a few to help people understand this.
2: Yeah, so I, I don't want to go uh, certainly too deep. We <laughs> just barely scratch the surface on it. Uh, like I said, there's there's a tract with with the broader details of this on on my site for sure and I'm sure there's material on John's site as well Um, but there's indications that well I should say indications there there were a lot of people around William Branham who were uh, known homosexuals and uh, we have uh, some interesting information about William Branham's relationship with 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 a lot of those men that uh, we could share um, especially uh, relating to uh, some things that happened on some of his hunting trips uh, and, and, even uh, a time when the police got involved, uh, with it. So some interesting stuff we can share there one day.
0: Okay. I, yeah, we won't go there right now because that's something I, that you're going to cover in the, in the months mm-hmm. ahead. So, uh, why don't we take a break right now and, uh, for, for both of you guys, I wanted to bring <clears throat> up a topic that might seem a little obscure, but primary research, primary source research, yeah. um, this is a topic that for people who are, their, their defenses are up right now. They're thinking, well, his website is just full of lies. He just made that stuff up. They don't understand the difference between somebody writing a book about their own life and then another person doing the research to prove or disprove whether those stories are correct. And that involves using primary source. Uh, but what t- Tell me, the, what would you technically use as a, as a term to describe the process of getting to the truth of a matter? Either one of you. Well, you. I'm sure I'll stick this one.
2: OK, if I, if I want to get to the truth of the matter, well, you, you, you start by trying to determine uh, what facts you can find. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, oftentimes you, you come to a, a problem with uh, you come to a situation with a, with an idea or a theory or a hypothesis you're trying to find evidence for. Right. Uh, and so you, you, you set about searching for evidence uh, that will validate the key assumptions. Uh, So you you may, uh, you know, in the case of something historical, you may do interviews with people who were present when it happened, ask their recollections. And if you got several people with, you know, uh, overlapping or identical recollections, well, that that's a strong primary evidence. Uh, Other things we have recordings of the period. uh, And and we also have uh, great resources, you know, like like this one where other people have made uh investigation and you can kind of compare those together line them up and, and see what facts you can determine and, and turn those into a narrative that, that you can present
6: I'll, I'll tell you one of the problems that i face so we're dealing with a con man and a lot yeah. of people are going to say no you're not you're dealing with a religious leader you're dealing with a prophet you're dealing with yeah. no we're dealing with a con man and one of the problems that yeah. exist newspapers is a primary resource Uh, You can go to a newspaper, and I can quote it, and it is valid, and I can use it anywhere. The problem is that we're dealing with a con man, and -hmm. the con man is the one talking to the reporters. And the example that I give for this is, I was trained to believe, incorrectly, that William Branham was visited by an angel in 1936. What was it? Uh, May the 6th, 1946. William Branham says, the very same day that Israel became a nation, May the 6th, 1946, an angel came down and he gave me the gift of healing. And from then on, I could heal the sick. Now, there's a huge problem with this that your your knowledgeable historian listeners will come up with is that's not the date Israel became a nation. Mm. So... If I use William Branham as a primary source, well, he lied. So now I have to introduce the newspaper article into the entry as a primary source. Well, no, this date is incorrect. It was, what was it, 1948, Israel became a nation. Mm-hmm. Then you, I can use a newspaper as a primary source there and it's accurate. But if I go back in time to 1946, when William Branham allegedly started his healing ministry, now I've got a newspaper source where his campaign managers say two years ago, William Branham received his gift of healing. Well, now the newspaper is incorrect because it doesn't match the William Branham. It doesn't match the Israel date. So these newspapers are saying this is when he started. If I quote only that newspaper, they're listening to the con man. And that newspaper primary source is inaccurate. So I've got another document on my website. In 1945, William Branham published this tract of how he got his alleged healing gift of, you know, gift of healing, and he mentions this massive revival, healing revival in 1945, which contradicts all those other stories. And in this version of the stage persona, there is no angel. He received a vision by God, and that's how he started healing the sick. But in this document published by William Branham, written by William Branham, he says that, I think it's five years ago, it's a few years before that, he received his first version of his gift of healing. Wow. And the date, I think, comes out to 1936, which I believe is actually accurate. 1936, he allegedly gets this quote unquote gift of healing and it quote left him for a few years. And now he's got a double portion in 1945. So all of these documents that I've just mentioned, every single one of them are primary sources directly from William Branham, directly from newspapers, directly from government, from the state of Israel. I mean, it's these, my dog is looking in the podcast. I don't know if you can see this. Um, she, she's interested in seeing what, who I'm talking to. Um, so you've got all of these primary source documents. And the only way in which you can piece it together is to literally take all of them scatter them on the table like pieces of a puzzle Mm -hmm. and see which ones fit accurately and which ones don't because they're all created by a con man.
0: You know, a, a way of looking at this, if somebody were to objectively gather a ton of evidence, place it all on a table, and they had two grids to try to make order or sense out of it, one grid would be, this was a great man of God who told the truth as a good Christian man of God would do. And you try to place yeah. that grid on top of all this information, it does not fit. But you have another grid I, that says, this man was a con man who made stuff up to get through the day, to, <laughs> to extort money out of people. You take that grid and you place it on the evidence and it fits really well.
6: Yeah, yeah. two One of, of the... us have tried to make a timeline. I, I actually wanted <laughs> to build my website around a timeline. You can't do it because none of, all the different stage personas have different
2: dates. You can't right. you can't even line it up. Right? You you've got kind of what you're talking about there would everything about William Branham's life. I don't want to say everything, but so much of what we believe, you know, in the mythology about William Branham is totally just bogus when you actually take it back. You know, one real prominent part of his testimony is the death of his wife and daughter uh, during the 1937 flood, right? His wife and daughter didn't die in the 1937 flood, right? Unless the flood
0: flood causes tuberculosis, right? right? Yeah,
2: right. Like, (laughs) there's so much of it. When you actually dig in, you know, you can take the primary sources, the government records, and you just find out the key elements of his testimony are are total fabrications. Well, so like a land need, a
0: a birth certificate, a death certificate, a marriage certificate. These things are primary source documents Mm -hmm. that are extremely dependable. Right. That's, that's one of the things that yeah. I've seen you use on your website, John.
6: Yeah. Well, so picture this. I'm a faith healer con man, and I'm going, I come to your town and I say, God has given me the gift of divine healing. Bring me your sick. And this is 1936. So we've tied William Branham. We've actually pinpointed around 1928 is when he started Touring with Davis, and that was when his evangelism started. So, 1936 approximately, it's whenever he's building his Pentecostal church. So, all through the Pentecostal sect, all through Indiana, he's touring as a healing revivalist. And he says, I've got the power to heal. Then his wife dies of tuberculosis. How how good of a healer is this guy, right? Mm-hmm. His wife just died as of tuberculosis. Well, he has to shift his Stage Persana and say, I didn't have the gift until after she died. And because she died, is why I chose to divinely be inspired by God to get the gift of divine
0: healing. Right. He has to lie. He's a con man. He has to lie.
2: Hmm. Yeah.
0: Which is John Alexander Dowie's story. It's John G. Lake's story. You see the pattern repeated over and over again with these men. Yeah. Um, What, uh, what connection do you see with William Branham going back to the, I consider Parham, uh, certainly John Alexander Dowie and John G. Lake to be the three kind of role models for the Pentecostal healer, traveling evangelist prophet. Uh, how, in his own words, was he very familiar with those three men, or only somewhat? Was he more influenced, for instance, by Roy E. Davis?
6: There was so Davis. I think people look at this religion incorrectly. They think it is a, a Christian, a pseudo-Christian cult. In my opinion, it is not. It is a political cult with a Christian front. Hmm. So Roy E. Davis was the underlying foundation, and it was a political cult for white supremacy. Hmm. It was a vehicle to spread white supremacy through religion. On top of this, you had the religious stuff. Two of William Branham, no, three, I think, of William Branham's fundamental campaign leaders were out of Dowie's sect. Mm-hmm. And I actually have a uh, photograph of William Branham and two of those men in standing by Dowie's graveside. William Branham says that um, he alludes that Dowie who promoted himself as Elijah um, died on one day and then I, William Branham, is born the next. And he's basically setting himself up as a successor, basically the Elisha to Dowie's Elijah. Mm-hmm. And he has men from a Dowie sect, F.F. Bosworth, Gordon Lindsay, who are helping him promote this notion and. I mentioned the, the, the name Snidely Whiplash. I don't know if you're uh, <laughs> uh I, I may be older than a lot of people who remember this guy. This is the guy who's tying the women to the train tracks, right? right. He's, <laughs> he's your most evil villain of all time. Rocky and Dowie, Yeah. Dowie is, when I wrote this book, I I likened it to the Marvel Universe. Every chapter has some guy in here that I could literally write an entire mini-series off of, of Hmm. books. Dowie is the, um, oh, what's his name? Dowie is the Thanos of this Marvel Universe. Dowie is the man, he became known as the richest man in the West. And when he died, Chicago newspaper said, we're flooded with prophets everybody's coming because they want a piece of this action they want his wealth his power his fame his fortune and dowie is basically the prototype for all of this that we see today Mm -hmm. william branham did a very good job at being a successor in my opinion he just as much of a con man as dowie i don't think he I don't think he had the power that Dowie had, but he definitely had the recognition that Dowie had.
0: Well, and today the charismatic uh, New Apostolic Reformation people, they they trace a very deliberate line starting with Dowie mm-hmm. going to Branham and leading up to people like Bill Johnson or Todd White, or yeah. even the International House of Prayer with Mike Bickle and the influence of Paul Kane. And, uh, you know, the whole latter rain movement leads to it's really the early version of the new Mm -hmm. apostolic reformation. It's the same group of ideas.
6: If you want to understand just how much information that that book, God's generals omits from Dowie's life, this book walks you through the timeline, starting with Dowie stealing a church (laughs) and basically getting run out of, um, Australia. He tries to set up the same thing in England and they expose him for a fraud. He comes to San Francisco. The San Francisco newspaper reporters were caught off guard and they thought what he was saying is true. And they printed it as though it were true until they figured out, wait a minute, this guy's a con man. He got ran out of California and basically did the same thing in Chicago, but his He was a businessman and his business strategy in Chicago is what worked. He was, in my opinion, he's literally the reason why the mafia had a fertile ground to sow seeds in Chicago, because this was the mafia in Chicago before the mob became the mafia in Chicago.
0: Interesting. Wow. Okay. Let's turn a corner here. I know we wanted to get into the Colonia Dignidad issue.
6: Oh, that's a big one.
0: Yeah. Uh, John, do you want to turn that corner for me? Because this is more of your wheelhouse, obviously.
6: Yeah, I think actually I'm going to let Charles take lead. I I'll preface with this. There's a lot of information I didn't know, the climax of which might be the great climax of this episode because it will just blow your mind. But historians in Chile contacted me approximately three weeks ago. Hmm. I knew about the compound. I knew it was a Branamite compound. It's been featured in movies. There was a movie called The Colony with Emma Watson and Daniel Brühl, I think, that was released a few years ago. It's on Netflix. You can watch it. I personally can't because it's so traumatic. I can't hmm. watch it. It would it would rip me apart. But this was a Branham cult compound, and it was one of a few Branham cult compounds. I did not realize the significance. I knew that it was significant because some very bad things happened here. But I was so manipulated to believe that these different splinter groups of the message, they just went off track. They went down their own pathway and... I can't even really talk about this group because they're not a good representation of the message. That's what I was indoctrinated to believe. And I'll be honest, until I met Charles and we started going through this, my opinion still remained that way. I actually did not focus much on Colonia Dignidad, but the deeper I get into it, the deeper I realize that this is not a single offshoot. This is a pattern. And there are a pattern of these things that exist. I've got many of them on my website now and quite a few more to come, but I'll let Charles take the lead and give the history because your listeners to this point, it's been interesting when they hear this part, they're going to go, Oh my gosh, what is this thing that, (laughs) what is this thing that the new apostolic reformation has used as their
2: foundation? (laughs) Yeah. uh, I, I guess I can talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, the, the Nazi connections actually come in through the white supremacy piece. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you kind of go back to the early history of Christian identity theology, mm-hmm. it, it was kind of birthed out of British Israelism. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure you've heard of that. Mm-hmm. Dowie was a British Israelite. Parham mm-hmm. believed in that. F.F. F. Bosworth. And a lot of early Pentecostalism <laughs> was very influenced by British Israelism. Mm-hmm. And what you have is, as, as you come into the 19 19- Hundreds, early 1900s, 1910s, it starts to take on a, a very racial overtone, and the Christian identity theology is kind of birthed out of British Israelism. And there's a man in Los Angeles. His name was Philip Monson. He started a Bible school out there. He was loosely associated with Amy Simple McPherson mm-hmm. and uh, the Angeles Temple, and he started a Bible school where he was preaching what really would be the prototype. Of Christian identity theology. Um, there was a protege at his school named Wesley Swift and, and all this is fairly well documented you, you can find this in reputable sources. Uh, Wesley Swift and Wesley Swift grew really to be the father of Christian identity theology. This has happened in the 1930s the 1940s and Wesley Swift is also a Bible student at Angelis Temple. Uh, he's a preacher there. He's you know in in uh, in orbit around Amy Semple McPherson. He preaches at the Angeles Temple, has a lot of connections there. And, and Swift is also a, a, a leading member in the Klan in California. Okay. Uh, he's got an, an organization on the side called the Anglo-Saxon World Federation. Um, and he's also working with another man named uh, Gerald Smith, who's a, a pretty, uh, also well-documented, well-known political figure from the 30s and 40s, who was a Nazi. Um, and so they're working together. He, Gerald Smith is supposedly the leader of the Klan in California at that time. Uh, and, and they're developing really the, the absolute worst racial parts of Christian identity theology in that period of time. And the Angeles Temple you know, we don't certainly don't want to paint them as being racist or anything like that. But that that network of connections they have throughout the Pentecostal movement, mm-hmm. they're piggybacking on that. You know, the Angeles Temple was sponsors to the Sharon Orphanage, where Latter Rain started. William Branham, uh, when he went to California, frequently held his revival meetings <coughs> at the Angeles Temple. Um, we can we can place Wesley Swift and William Branham together at, at different events. We have copies of Wesley Swift's tracks where we can see William Branham was pretty well reading out of his tracks in different mm-hmm. points. We also have, uh, we know members that were in Wesley Swift's Anglo-Saxon Federation, and some of those men were also the key players around the William Branham campaign. So the, we have lots of documented connections to show how William Branham, Wesley Swift, these things were interconnected. And that's really where William Branham got the Serpent Seed Christian Identity Theology from. Well, anyways, where the Nazi connection comes in is, is there was a group uh, back in the 30s called the American Bund. And that group was actually, they were Nazis. They were real fide Nazis before the war. Um, the government actually ended up shutting them down and there's membership lists that the FBI generated from those groups when they shut them down. And there's a membership overlap from those groups into the Anglo-Saxon Federation, right, and also into these KKK groups. And so through all this, uh, Wesley Swift develops a lot of uh, connections to the Nazis, the Aryan nations, the Neo-Nazi movement. William Branham is also around the same element of people and he also starts to develop these uh, connections to some, to some Nazi people. Um, there's a lot of German immigrants that were in the message in the early days and basically we've kind of identified some of them were certainly Nazis uh, of, of the real evil type and and that's really where Colonia starts to come into the picture. Um, as, as Branham started to tour in Europe especially in Germany some of these Nazi figures attached themselves to him or he sought them out and John i maybe let you take it from there.
6: Yeah, so if you've read, <clears throat> I can't remember if you finished this book or not. If you've read this book, my, my very last couple of chapters talks about John F. Kennedy. And towards the end, a lot of people don't realize this, but Christian, the white supremacy Christian religions attacked John F. Kennedy heavily, not just John F. Kennedy, but <clears throat> Anything that supported equality, interracial marriage, especially anti-Catholicism. Kennedy was basically represented, the Catholics in the, in office. The Klan was heavily, especially in the state of Indiana, the Indiana version of the Klan, was so severely anti-Catholic that they were actually more anti-Catholic than they were anti-black. There weren't that many black people in Indiana. <laughs> So you've got this version of of history or you've got this point in time in history and when everybody's rising up against kennedy roy davis who was william brown's mentor was actually a named shooter which i mentioned in the book there were several people that they thought might have killed kennedy when the conspiracy started i don't believe that davis knowing him he's the snidely whiplash who tells the other snidely whiplashes what to do mm-hmm. there's no way davis is the shooter but If you've read, um, I can't remember the name of that book, it's on my website. But if you read the book, the government documents that tie Davis to this are significant. Davis ran, Davis was the head of the Klan in Dallas at the time. After the assassination, Davis transferred leadership and basically went in the ground and said, no. I'm out. <laughs> I'm not. And William Branham, that's when at the point in time which William Branham goes off the rails. Branham was heavily anti Kennedy. So we've got all this background and their pieces to the puzzle that I did not have when I wrote this book. This historian from one of the universities, I can't give their name yet, contacted me from Chile. They're about to release a bunch of government documents later this year, I think September of this year is whenever his book and the documents are released but the compound was heavily tied to a message cult leader named Ewald Frank from Germany. Frank personally baptized, I want to say is like two or three hundred of these people, made several trips to Colonia, helping them get set up and established. And William Branham's daughter mentions Frank in a very strange way in a letter that in which she's threatening her brothers, which I have on my website. I have this series of videos called the Sarah Branham investigation.
0: I just watched those. There's the some infom-
6: yeah. So there's some information there that will blow your mind. Well, she, if you read between the lines of what she's saying, she is threatening to out this thing that exists. I did not know it at the time. Even when I made the first videos, I did not know this until this historian contacted me and I started piecing it all together. The story goes, as I understand the story and I, my, my history is still coming together cuz I this is early in my research of the actual history, but the story goes there was a kid who was who slipped a note to a lady in a restaurant who's with his, you know he's with his parents and he slips this note said help they're going to kill me. And the lady went to the authorities And when the authorities get to the compound, it looks like this little Amish community. Everybody's happy, they're singing, they're praising God, they're praising William Branham, they're playing William Branham on the loudspeakers. Um, I think they're making wood crafts or food or something. I mean, it looks like if you went to Ohio and visited an Amish community, they don't see the kid. So the authorities start busting down the doors and they find a torture chamber under the place. And children are being sexually molested, tortured. They've got racks and chains. I mean, the whole bit. Well, they, you know, you can't explain this. The, people don't go to these links just to torture children. There are other ways. I mean, a, a person who's that demented to be a Christian leader of the Branham sect who's torturing children. You just do it in your bedroom or whatever. You don't build a whole torture chamber. So they, they continue to investigate and found that no, it's not just the children they're torturing opponents of the Pinochet regime, which I don't know if you remember that history, but as a very dark chapter in, in Chilean history, they're torturing, not just political opponents, but entertainers, singers, everyone. Well, the series of inve- investigation. Apparently I can't say series or Siri pops up. <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs>
6: <laughs> so, so as they continued investigating this place, they found that this place was harboring Nazis, significant Nazi leaders were fleeing to South America, they would land in this place and hide out for a long period of time until they no longer um, until the trail is no longer hot. Then they would escape from this place into Argentina and different areas in South America. There are, um, there are CIA documents that suggest that Joseph Mangalay, Hitler's angel of death, Stayed in this compound, and they've got other documents of you know different SS leaders, etc. Um, if you watch the, on the History Channel, there's a episode of Hitler's Hunters where they actually go and visit this Branham place <laughs> because this is where the Nazis came. I knew all of that. What I did not know, this guy told me about three weeks ago, but the in, the investigation continued and he shared with me documents and newspaper articles that were the written in Spanish and German. So they don't come up in my searches when I'm searching Colonia Dignidad. So I didn't know any of this existed, but they found that this Branham Colt compound was producing sarin gas, chemical biological weapons, surfaced air missiles, machine guns, submachine guns. They literally had an arsenal that they, they were preparing for war they could take over armies the place started in 1961 around the same time that roy davis was building his nazi regimes same time branham starts branham hid like his serpent seed doctrine that charles is talking about branham kept that concealed until the little rock 15. nine incident i can't remember the 58. exact date on that 58 so branham goes and he sets up headquarters in Germany. I didn't know that either until I started talking to this guy, but Branham even mentions it on recordings. He's got multiple headquarters in Germany. And he, his excuse of having these headquarters is that it's to translate the letters of my fans. He says, I've got a whole office in Germany that will take a letter, translate it to English and send it to my translators or, or forward the letter. So my translators in America can translate it, read it to me, and then I send it back to this office in Germany. Well, you don't need an office for that. You just have somebody that's sending the mail, but he's got multiple offices in Germany. And long story short, they continued to investigate, and they found this office where they have 500 files of confirmed assassinations. We're talking this Branham compound apparently was killing people and they had the whole, like, I, I'm picturing the Mission Impossible where they give you the folder, yeah, you know, and the reporting that, that <clears throat> self-destructs or whatever. They had the folders of the assassinations, like how, how to do it. And one of the folders was labeled JFK. And inside the JFK folder were two bullets of the same caliber that Lee Harvey Oswald k- used for his assassination.
0: So this colony this Branham colony was a independent functioning entity within the country of Chile which was being run by a dictator and that dictator mm-hmm. allowed them to remain autonomous because they were in in uh, return doing these terrible things for Pinochet mm-hmm. that's that's yeah, the exactly. theory that we have that's the, that's what the evidence points but, to uh,
6: yeah it's not even theory at this point, mm-hmm. um, and this guy's going to be releasing the book, but he's got government documents that will show that Pinochet was using this William Branham message compound as a hidden underground military torture and assassination criminal organization.
0: And it started in 61. So if, if people want to say, mm-hmm. oh, that, that had nothing to do with William Branham that came later, no, William Branham didn't die until 65.
6: Exactly. So he
0: knew about it. He was probably involved to at least some extent, maybe a great extent. We don't know, but the connection is yeah. there. It's a very real connection.
6: I can't uh, I'll I'll be fully honest and transparent. I can't yet place him in the compound. Right. OK, I can place him in South America. He, he made how many trips, Charles? He made multiple trips to South America,
2: right? We're talking about Ewald Frank? Uh, William Branham. Branham was in South America multiple times. Uh, I I know for sure he was into Mexico, I, and uh, I'm not sure how much further south than that he got personally. Okay. I've got, I'll have to look it up somewhere. I think I have a photograph
6: of him in, it might be Argentina, but it's in one of the South American countries, and I think he mentions it that's something i need to create a document on my website for but i long story short i can't place him in this colony he's this is the kind of thing that i will never find research for because if you're doing something that is not just illegal from a criminal level of the fbi we're talking this is even beyond the cia or today's nsa this this is top high level government security clearance operations to the extent that the CIA was investigating this place. It's that level of
0: bad. Did we mention Paul Schaefer? Because I don't think we- Not yet. Yeah. Paul Schaefer was the message leader of this compound. And not to be confused with the band leader of the David Letterman show and you know, <laughs> all around nice guy from what I can tell. This is a- yeah. this was the Paul guy. Schaefer is not a nice guy. Yeah. This, this Paul Schaefer. <laughs> was a was a german who was the leader of the compound from the very beginning or or did he Mm -hmm. come after the compound was already established yeah charles
6: you know more about that history than me Mm. he had some issues in germany before he came to south america right
2: sure so so paul schaefer uh was in the free evangelical church after the war he he actually been in the war Mm. he was a, a nazi german soldier during the war um i believe he lost an eye uh but i don't know if he lost that eye in the war how exactly that happened he he said he lost the eye in the war paul shaver anyway he he uh came into contact with william branham um during brother branham's i still call him brother branham uh (laughs) it's still uh yeah you know it stays here right
6: quote unquote Uh, brother Branham." yeah
2: yes yes (laughs) uh and so uh He came in contact with William Branham during William Branham's uh, campaign meetings in Europe. William Branham made multiple campaign tours of Europe Mm -hmm. uh, in the 1950s, and he was at multiple of those campaigns uh, along with some other uh, leading figures of the German message community. before he came in, he had actually already been accused of child molestation in the Free Evangelical Church. Mm-hmm. And I think that might have been part of why he was shopping for a new place to find a home, mm-hmm. uh, so to speak. So he he came over, starts working with the message. Uh, he's near a, a place called Crefield, Germany, where uh, another very, probably the largest message church in Europe is located. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there... Uh, He ends up in trouble with authorities again uh, for child molestation. And so he's got to get out of the country at that point. He kind of goes into hiding a little bit in Germany. Uh, We're talking 1958, 1959. Uh, And he resurfaces again in Chile by 1961. Uh, And all his followers then move, follow him, and and help build up this compound in Chile. Uh, And through different things, we do know he was connected to quite a few other Nazi figures that flowed through through Colonia through the years. Uh, there's all kinds of documentaries on Colonia that uh, that do yeah. a good job of documenting all those connections.
6: Okay, so let's yeah. In the go ahead the um the mention of Joseph Mengele that's that's not new news. I I did not realize at the no. time, but um. Shortly before William Branham's daughter, Sarah, published the letter that I'm referencing, there was a documentary about to be released. So I kind of, if you put the timeline together, it looks very much like she is threatening to expose what this documentary is about to expose and tie it all together. But there's a book, and I I think I have like a segment of one of the pages on my website um, that was published describing... Apparently in Nazi Germany, the Nazis referred to this Branham cult compound as, quote, the colony. And that's how the documentaries got named. They would it was recognized by Nazi leaders as the colony that you go to before you enter South America. It was the landing place of the Nazis. And it was a William Branham cult compound.
0: That's just amazing. So, yeah,
2: yeah it's, what, it's
6: really unbelievable. Yeah
2: when paul schaefer finally got exposed publicly in the 90s you know within six months of him having to go into hiding in chile message leaders in germany send a new a new man comes from message church in germany starts to take a little bit of a leadership role in colonia right they were that connected uh the same man helps various message people in colonia escape back to germany and as far as i know i mean a, a very large portion of the colonia survivors are still uh, followers of the message to this day, uh, they've dispersed into other message churches, uh, including people that were involved in the the rapes, the molestations, the murders, uh and different things. They they they're in message churches today. They're still there. They haven't left. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's more widespread
6: than just South America. I don't want to yeah. go into too many details because <clears throat> I would actually put there's a lot of danger in this. If you can read between the lines of what we're saying, and there are people that I know personally that their life would actually be in danger if I say too much. So I'm, I'm going to stop short, but there are churches that exist in North America that are heavy German descent and that look very much like they're harboring the same kind of people (laughs) and
2: I can't confirm or deny that large sums of money are flowing through them. Yeah. Wow! And I, I can say personally—I don't know if you can say this, John—but my family personally knows people who have traveled and been to the Colonia compound while some of these things were going on. Uh, so they—they mm. they did have connections back into the main part of the message for decades. You know, all the way back through. And so they—they're not—they're not just some offshoot that's over there that was okay. unconnected to the rest of the message universe. Yeah. Yeah,
6: Ewald Frank, I can say this, I think, without putting anybody at risk. Ewald Frank, who has heavy ties, and actually, I think he's going to be, <clears throat> if not the primary, at least secondary subject matter of this book that's about to be published in Chile. Ewald Frank was heavily tied to the, you know, to the sect and even was bringing people back to his church after the sect imploded. He was very big and to different branches of the message in the United States. And I have family members that went to churches that Ewald Frank frequents or frequented. I don't know Mm -hmm. if he still does. Um, for when this thing was exposed, Ewald Frank was denied. He is still, um, not allowed access into Chile. He, uh, the crimes that are associated with this are also tied to Ewald Frank. I can't say that he's guilty or not. I'll, I'll let the authorities say that, but I can say that I've seen the documents where he is denied access.
0: The uh, the normal everyday message follower, in whatever branch of the message they might be a part of, if they were to go to, or even talk about this 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 compound they wouldn't know it as the thing that we're describing at all they would think of it as this nice place. It's kind of like a retreat, right? It's a it's a it's an old world Amish kind of a community. And that's why they would go there. They they're not going there to participate in torture. They don't know that these things are beneath the surface. Is that correct? One would hope so, but
2: it's hard to say, right? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah,
6: I'll I'll give you two examples. Um, The first one is extreme. On my website, you can find this guy named Robert Gumbura, who has a compound. I think it's Zimbabwe. I, I'm really my memory's really bad. I think I mentioned that, it, but it's Zimbabwe. I do remember. I do remember Robert Gumbura.
0: I think my memory's bad. I can't remember if I if I mentioned that or not. See what you just did. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know.
6: Um, so this guy was he. Um, rose to supreme authority and manipulation of his compound to believe that he was the quote-unquote spiritual husband of the wives of the church and could sleep with any of the women that he wanted to and did. Mm -hmm. And he got busted because while he was performing the act, he was also videotaping the act and a lot of issues there. But they were also militant and they were trying to perform a coup and he ended up in prison. He actually recently died of COVID in prison. I was in the message. I never heard this name. I never knew that this existed. I never knew this was going on. I can assure you the leaders of this cult did. They, they know all of this stuff. Hmm. So that's one example of extremism that I did not know. So there was no need for that control of information. There's no need to see disinformation because I didn't know this existed. There's another Colt compound in Prescott, Arizona that I did Mm. know existed. And I was seated very, very wrong information about it. William Branham's campaign managers, he referred to them as, quote, his tape boys. The guys who literally held the vault of his recordings and promoted, sold William Branham's recordings were two men by the name of Gene Goad and Leo Mercer who was outed by one of William Branham's other associates as being homosexuals. They were named as homosexuals. They started a compound in Prescott, Arizona, that William Branham referred to as, quote, Little Goshen. In other words, this is a good place to go. And he goes and he speaks there multiple times, and he says, you guys are in such good hands And according to Lee Vale, one of William Branham's associates, Vale knew everybody knew my family knew that these two men were homosexual the whole time, Wow! even when they had this compound, everyone knew that these two men were homosexual. But it was seated such that you're basically trained to look the other way Mm -hmm. to the people who knew and you don't talk about it to the people who didn't know and Regardless of whether you think homosexuality is okay in Christianity or whether it's not, this isn't the only problem that these two men had. There's a California Supreme Court case, um, People versus Keith Loker. This compound was sexually molesting children. They would take children. There's a book that was recently released called Tale of the Serpent. I advertise that on my website. This woman who escaped the compound describes what I already knew and many of my family knew. They would strip the children down, either naked or to their underwear, bring them in front of the congregation, make them bend over and hold a chair, and men would take turns beating with a board until their arms would get tired and then they would pass the board. And if the children raised up or let up their hands, okay, you're getting double. Okay. You're getting triple. They would, they would literally go around the room, all the men beating the children until William Branham promoted the beating and mutilation of naked flesh of children. And these men were actually performing literally what William Branham spoke as praise to women who beat their naked children. They they were actually doing it in this compound. And I'm not going to go too deep because this is very disturbing but this was not even the worst thing that they did to the people in this compound this is just one of the horrific acts i knew this compound but i was given disinformation about this compound
2: yeah same thing in jeffersonville here john in our church you know we had people that had escaped from that particular compound that had come back and even attended some of our churches you know and the abuses that were Mm -hmm. going on there were were widely known among leadership um and you know, according to different people, the abuses were going back going on all the way back to when William Brannham was still living. And even when he time frame he yeah. visited the compound himself. And you know, it's really troubling because nobody, nobody ever was turned in for any of that. Nobody ever did the first thing to alert authorities to turn, to call the police to do anything to, to even try and stop or intervene when those things were going on. And almost every yeah. oh, I, I should be careful A lot of senior leaders, certainly in this Jeffersonville area, were aware of that at the time. They didn't do anything. And so that's the kind of uh, treatment leadership would would often look towards. If they knew what was going on, Colonia, no one would ever hear about it. It would be covered up completely.
0: Okay. I've had enough. This is is so disturbing. I'm almost speechless, which is really hard to do for me because I tend to talk too much. I want to I end with something uh, from both of you guys. I know what it was like when I stopped listening to the Amway motivational tapes and I stopped going to the meetings and I started seeing my life as mine again and the f- sense of freedom that I had when I finally decided I wasn't going to be under the control of these leaders anymore i can only imagine what it was like for both of you guys because you were in a much tighter uh environment You, you you were completely surrounded by this cult tell me as we end this show how it felt to finally be free of that so because i want people who are listening who maybe are in a cult like this, or actually in the message itself, I want them to know what's on the other side. There is something much, much better to mm-hmm. look forward to. Uh,
6: Charles Charles is more recent. So he has, he has the, the freshest of the information. So I'll let Charles take
2: it. Yeah. you know, I, I think for me personally, you know, once you started to wake up and realize what's going on and what you're, what What's going on on the periphery of this thing? You know, not everybody in, certainly not everyone in there is a bad person. There's lots of wonderful, good people. There's lots of good community yeah. in there. There's a lot of redeeming qualities, perhaps you could say, uh, to it. So, you know, it, it's certainly not something you want to paint as it's just entirely black and ugly, but there is this black, ugly thing behind the scenes lurking. And at a certain point, especially like me, as you start moving up into leadership position you start to become privy to things that are going on behind the scenes and you start to realize just exactly what you're part of and different people wake up to that in different ways and it's terrible living with that on the inside because uh, especially like me I mean I I loved Jesus I thought I was, a, you know, I believed in the Bible and I knew that these things were awful but somehow mm-hmm. we're conditioned to accept and look the other way and you know <laughs> Once you can get your head screwed on straight and you can really look at the Bible for what it is, it is liberating to be able to walk free in a relationship with Jesus led by the Holy Spirit, not having every micro aspect of your life ruled by a preacher, told you have to go along with things that you know are absolutely God awful evil and it's a hard hump to get over. But once you're out a while, you can breathe and you can take a deep breath and you just say, thank you God for delivering me Mm -hmm. from this awful thing I was part of. And, And thank you that, thank you that somehow through it all, I still kept my faith in you. So, I mean, that's, that's amazing.
6: Thanks. I don't usually go this far with an an analogy, but we've talked about some pretty disturbing stuff, so I think I can safely use this for the first time publicly. I don't usually use this publicly, but you've seen my dog pop its head up now and again. If my wife were upstairs making brownies, and my dog made a mess on the floor, and one of my children picked it up and put it in the brownies and stirred it up, and she fed us the brownies and I started eating it, I'm not going to say well, the chocolate chips in this brownies are really good. I'm not going to say that this brownie could taste good and there's some bad stuff in it. I'm going to say, no, this is the nastiest thing. I'm not even going to put it in my mouth. Mm-hmm. That's what this religion is. There are some incredibly good people in this. I'm Charles is dead on. I love the people in it. There are some villainous evil. I can't even, without putting my family at, in danger tell you how bad these people are, that some of them are in it, they're in the same mix. I can't, I can't wholesomely say that this is a good brownie to eat. I really can't. When you've got that level of criminal activity, white supremacy, torture, war, sarin gas, this is a very, very, very bad thing. So from my perspective, I'm no longer eating that brownie. I'm eating the good (laughs) stuff. And Every year that I'm away from this thing, first year I was escaped, I thought, this is freedom. This is true freedom. And the next year, I look back at that year, and I think, I was so deeply bound by my past that I was still in chains, and I did not even know it. I'm free. Hmm. Then the next year, the same thing. Every single year that I've been away from this cult, I realize that in some way, shape, or form, my life has been robbed from me. I'm free and I'm happy and I'm doing things that I'll, I'll, I'll never forget. I'm a musician. I was told I could only play gospel music. I only listened to it. And when I was in the mall or stores, I would do this thought blocking and I literally didn't listen to it. I would, I would in my head, I would hum, I would chant. The first time I heard Bon Jovi, I ran upstairs to my son, hey, have you heard this guy named Bon Jovi? Dead or Alive is awesome, man. So he turns it on. Yeah, dad, I've heard that. It's great. And. Uh, I mean, we're, we're experiencing music at the new time, everybody, your listeners, they don't grasp the freedoms that we have, that we were taken away from, robbed from us, our life was robbed from us. So to the people in the cult, I say this, don't eat the brownies, man, there's, there's cake, there's ice cream, there's all this other good stuff that you can have, and also don't look backwards at what was taken from you. Experience it. Enjoy it because there's so much that we did the 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 kids that I mentioned last night. I took them bowling. The girl had never ever been bowling because in the cult bowling is not bowling is risque it's forbidden. Only the evil people go bowling. <laughs> and I was I was explaining to her, "Now look, it's a ball and there are there are 10 white pins and you hit the pins with the ball and I can assure you there's no devil involved. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Boy, the, um, the burden of false religion is that God's always up in heaven waiting for you to mess up so he can punish you. But Christianity yeah. is God saying, yeah, you're a sinner. That's why I sent my son to redeem you, because I love you. Yeah. And I'm going to show my love by dying in your place so that you can have eternal life with me so that you can have a relationship with me. All of those things are, are good. And if you're living in fear all the time and you're constantly looking around at everything and, and, and living with this fear that I'm going to upset God, or I'm going to upset my leaders and I'm just this close from being punished, you you don't understand. No, Jesus took the punishment that you deserve away on the cross. You can now live in freedom. Mm. Christian freedom is a wonderful thing. You know, uh, there are many things that we can enjoy in life. Yes, there's pain in life. Yes, there's difficulty. And God helps us through those difficult things. But yeah, I, I, my analogy of when, I, when we were in Amway, we were in a thought control group and we couldn't do certain things. Yeah. We couldn't read certain books or, or we were discouraged from it. And I, I remember that incredible feeling of saying, hey, I can just do what I want with my life. Not that I'm going to go against God. I was I was actually feeling more free to serve God because I don't have to serve God through this cultic organization. I can just serve God by being a regular Christian, going to church, living my life, being an artist, doing the things that, you know, God created me to do. So I, I, I want to end on that positive note that, yeah, yeah there's, there's a, a bunch of stuff that's really disturbing. And, uh, of course, there are many churches— that have bad doctrine, that are cultish, and they're nothing near the level of some of the things we've discussed today. But in any event, there are people in bondage because they're not hearing that simple gospel message. Jesus died on the cross yeah. to pay the penalty for your sins. He loves you. He he's he, he wants your life to be free from all these burdens. He's not the guy that's adding burdens. That's, that's the wrong version of Christianity. If you think you're constantly having to do more and more and more and more and more to please God, you don't understand the gospel yet, mm. so. Thanks that's
6: that's the Egyptian god that you sacri- sacrificed your children to yep. man it's not even <clears throat> so yep. anybody who's been who has been negatively impacted by this who is either in it in a splinter group or in some offshoot I want to mention again that Charles and I will soon be relaunching our podcast mm-hmm. you can find it on William Branham historical research it's going to be Charles and me and we're we've only skimmed just a fraction of the surface. We're going to go really deeply in the podcast and Charles is starting the Halfway House Church which I'm hoping will grow and the idea will spread throughout the world. We're we're going to make a means for people to get, like your Amway example, for means for people to help unravel the stuff from their minds.
0: Yeah, and it takes time and that's okay. Yeah. Anything you want to say to close, Charles?
2: I know we well- Thank you for inviting us on to speak with you today and to just to share a little bit with your listeners appreciate the opportunity and the opportunity to meet you
0: yeah i i really want to do this again because this is absolutely fascinating and you guys are just really this fun is to fun. talk to yeah so god bless you guys and mm-hmm. thanks everybody for watching see you again soon